Growing up in the 90s, the thought of marijuana becoming legal was unthinkable. It was almost exclusively considered a deviancy, a gateway to worse drugs, a symbol of a subculture that wanted to throw their lives away for a high. But as time has moved on, the stigma around marijuana has started to fall, especially as the use of it for medical purposes has become more and more commonplace. It has become a gray area for Christians, one of many gray areas that have arisen in the last couple decades, as things once considered fringe and negative to society have become more and more commonplace and normalized. Today, we're breaking down gray areas as believers, how we should respond to a world that looks less and less like the Christian ideal that we learned as children, but instead is becoming more and more convoluted. Are you ready? It's time to wake up. It's a new day. Yes, it is. Wakey, wakey. Time to get up. Good morning, citizens. Open up them. Praise and shine. This is your wake up call, people. Come on, the coffee's on. We're going to get you guys circulating on Christian radio. I understand young people. I know what's hip. I know what's on. I know what's lit. I know what's fleet. What's up, my I'm a nerd, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. Rise and shine, nerds. Welcome to the Back Row Morning Show, a part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network and the official exclusive morning show for LTN Radio. I'm Radio Matt, the station manager and chief radio nerd. I'm 18 years saved, 16 years married, 11 years recovered, 7 years a father, and 36 years a nerd. And I'm Mo, a lot of things wrapped up in one small but loud package your very own casserole of a co-host doing my best to bring the best but one thing i'm not is good at math the back row morning show covers a wide range of topics from all across church and pop culture and we usually take it in threes three segments focusing on different aspects of our discussion you're listening to our weekly compilation of the main topic segments from this past week's morning shows this week we're talking about gray areas before we jump into our discussion here is your Back Row Games update for the week. Backrowgames.com has gotten an overhaul, a brand new look that will be easier to navigate and find your next game or expansion. Go check it out for yourself. Backrowgames.com. Here in New Mexico, we are less than a month away from our state becoming the latest to legalize recreational marijuana. Medical marijuana has been legal here for a few years, uh, but it's not just our state. Currently, 28 states have either fully legalized or at least decriminalized the use of marijuana. But growing up, especially in a Christian culture, marijuana was one of like the big boogeymen mm-hmm. of the 90s. Uh, recreational use is often compared to alcohol use, but are they really the same? And does having a prescription for it change the connotations or potential sinfulness of its use? We're going to talk it out. Okay. We're going to have some fun. All right. We're going to we're going to blaze a trail through this discussion. <laughs> Are we going to hit some high notes? We hit some high notes. <sighs> I don't have any more jokes. <laughs> I have so many. Uh, in a previous tweet thread from Back Row Baptist. Like I had like 20 in a row puns and I don't remember any of them now. Mm. <laughs> By the end of it, I'm sure we'll feel like we're in a haze. So it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, what you gone to do? It's all a big cloud of smoke anyway. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so first off, first off the bat, Mo. 
You and I, confession time. Confession. These are my confessions. Have you ever smoked or consumed marijuana? I have. (gasps) I'm scandalized already. Matt, (laughs) have you ever smoked (laughs) or what was the other one? Consumed. Consumed. I wanted to say ingested. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, that's the right. That's 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 a synonym. Marijuana. (laughs) The Mary Jane. I have never, not once. Really? Never, not once. No one's ever offered me any. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a fun guy, people. I don't understand why nobody would let me have any. I'm kidding. (laughs) That's the best response to anything you have ever had. (laughs) Uh, No, I've never. I've never had the desire. Uh, it's, it's, it's essentially the same thing with alcohol. Like, I feel like my quest to find an alcoholic beverage I like is really just society driven. Like society tells me I should like something here, <laughs> like something in this aisle. And I don't, um, but I've never, I've just, eh, I don't know. It's never been like a, a sinful thing. Like, like, a am not doing it because it's against God. Uh, it's just like, I've never, had the desire or the pull to try any kind of drug or also, or cigarettes even I'm going to. Okay. All right. Well, that just kind of threw my, Oh, what were you about to say? <laughs> I was about to say, or the accessibility because with oh, alcohol, yeah. you can walk into a grocery store right, and right. You, just like you said, okay, society tells me that I should like something here. Let me find something. Yeah. Okay. You can't do that, but you can with cigarettes. Yeah. Right. So Clearly. you can go into a, a pharmacy <laughs> and buy cigarettes still <laughs> all Walgreens, which is really kind of crazy. <clears throat> um, yeah. I mean, and I, I don't particularly know why, uh, again, it's definitely not a, because I'm better than you kind of thing, no, you're uh, not. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I've just, I've just wrong. never really had, and I'm glad that I've never had the desire cause I do have an addictive personality. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm very much addicted to food and have been my whole life. I've been addicted to other nefarious things. Uh, so I know that if I'd have gotten caught up in that, I've also never been drunk when we talk about alcohol. Yeah. I've never been drunk either. And so I don't know what that feels like or if that's a draw for somebody. That's not good. So, I can tell you that. Huh? It's not good. I it's can tell good? you that. No. Oh. Mm-mm. I always thought people wanted to get drunk and then the next day wasn't good. Okay. So we can go into that some other time, but <laughs> there are people who do want to get drunk and like that feeling, but. Okay. Okay. So I'm yeah. not completely off base. You're not off base. No, <laughs> but ignorant. it's not a good feeling. Just ignorant. It's not I, a good I've never feeling. used an illicit drug of any sort. Uh, how, how, I mean, how many, can I ask more questions? Sure. Okay. How many times do you think you've done that? Was it just like a one-time thing or was it a, a short season of your life or all your childhood? (laughs) From the time I was five until yesterday. (laughs) What time is it? Uh... (laughs) No, it was a short season of my life. Um, I, I think I've talked about something very similar to this on the show before. When I turned 18 on my 18th birthday, the very first thing that I went and did was bought cigarettes because I could, you know, because at that point, because you were allowed to. Yeah. 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 And so all throughout high school, all of my closest friends were huge potheads, huge. Almost all of my boyfriends smoked weed, Hmm. but I never did, Hmm. never did. And it wasn't until there was something about like 
any decision that I made was going to be reflective of my family and my parents. Oh, and so when I yeah. became an adult, it was like, Psh, it's my life now. I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> um, and so once I turned 18, that's when I started. Well, this is something that sounds fun. And all my friends seem to think it's fun. Well, let me give it a try. And it's only going to look poorly on me. I don't have to worry about how it's going to look on my family anymore. So, okay, yeah. About from 18 until... Oh, gosh. The last time, I guess, it was two months after Chris and I started dating. And so, what, 2005? Like, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. So. So not too terribly long. No. What What is it like? What's the experience? <sighs> <laughs> like, do you remember really enjoying it? So, or was it more of a, this is just what we do at this age and in my friend group or I'm it legitimately, they call it being high for a reason, right? You don't feel, okay. Do you know how like you feel when you have like a sign, like a head cold or a sinus thing and you feel like your head is a balloon and it's just kind of floating. Yeah. You're like, you know, what's happening, you know, what's going on, but you don't really feel connected yeah, sounds amazing so far. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it's like. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Weird. It's also very, it, it, there's a variable dependent upon the way that it's grown and where it comes from and what right, there's all, it's Right, so, it's a plant, so there's all different yeah. kinds of mm-hmm. strains. Mm-hmm. Exactly, <laughs> you know, you know, much like... <clears throat> The world we're living in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are claims that people can be more creative or more mm-hmm. relaxed or more laid Definitely back. Definitely more relaxed, for sure. I was about to go into something completely medical, but I can save that for a little bit. Okay. Um, but yes, way more relaxed. I could see where someone who um, is creative, but is also influenced by the things around them could be more creative. Like more focused or yes. more, okay. You know, not as distracted. Or rather, yeah, not, not maybe more focused, but not as distracted because you're in your own little world. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then my last question is, uh, is it just a, a stereotypical thing or does it really give you the munchies? Uh, for I believe it's just a stereotypical thing. Yeah, because you never had that well, affectation. Well, there was one time I ate a frozen pizza, uncooked. Oh. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, frozen hot pocket. <laughs> there were a couple of times where I would say that I experienced the munchies. Overall, I never. It wasn't like a ongoing continuous every time I was high I wanted to devour everything in my kitchen kind of thing but at the same time I did have like an appetite an increased desire to eat okay not munchies just let's gonna let's eat let's did you make ever make dinner. any weird thing or did you just eat normal no I just ate normal okay because my 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 legitimate only real 
uh, experience with marijuana is through how it's portrayed on television. Right. And my favorite one is from Frasier, where uh, Martin, the, the dad, accidentally eats a pot brownie that Niles is buying from Roz because he's never rebelled in his whole life. And uh, the dad was trying, Martin was trying to like lose weight or whatever. And he was holding that, saw there was a brownie and couldn't contain himself, ate the whole thing, bought another brownie from the coffee shop, folded that up in the foil and gave that to Niles. And so they're both in the house together. Niles thinks he's getting high, but he's just faking it because Mm -hmm. he doesn't know what it feels like. Meanwhile, the dad is like putting, dipping his uh, Ruffles potato chips in chocolate pudding. And saying it's better than a woman, like you know, that's the thing that I'm saying. Like weird, like weird pregnancy kind of ideas for food. And Hold stuff. on, potato chips and chocolate pudding <laughs> is probably, not weird. It probably could be good, but at the time, it really, you know, we weren't really experienced. Uh, we weren't really experiencing a potato chip and chocolate combination I mean, in, that's as fair. a nation. That's fair. That really that's started fair. coming later. Um, it was very futuristic of them. <laughs> it was, right? They, they were on to something. Uh, but like he would say things like, don't you ever wish you could just go straight? Like everywhere we want to go, you got to twist and turn and go around. What if you could just go straight? Just over the car, over the buildings. That's what a giant would do. They should let everybody be a giant for a day. Okay. Did you have this kind of like... So I have a confession. <laughs> That is my thinking on a daily basis. (laughs) So for me... Dude, I'm high on life. (laughs) You know, so I actually do remember having this realization. I... I did say more. I did feel a little more confident to speak. Okay. When I was under the influence, if you will. Um, but I also got super frustrated with people because they would be like, oh, she's so high. Huh? And I'm like, no, these are my everyday thoughts. No, I'm a genius. I, <laughs> I have been thinking this forever. I'm just more willing to say it right now. It's not the thought. It's the willingness. And so I can remember realizing, you know what? I'm just going to say what I want. As long as it's not hurtful, as long as it's not derogatory, I'm going to say these things that I'm thinking so that people aren't like, oh, she's just high. Look at her, you know? Stone sober, bro. Exactly. Got a good idea. Uh-huh. People need to pay attention. For real. <laughs> so I would say to those people who have these big, big brain ideas. Big brain ideas. Uh-huh. They're probably already having these ideas they're just not confident enough to say them uh i believe martin was writing down his ideas on a notepad and put it in his pocket mm-hmm. fraser came home and said dad where are your pants he said in the fridge <laughs> i had a reason and he pulls out the notepad fridge pants <laughs> you're not talking about like that stuff you're talking about like real genuine ideas <laughs> Listen, you know, if it's supposed to be over a hundred degrees, you know, you're right. Fridge pants. (laughs) Fridge pants. That could maybe not in Seattle, but here in New Mexico, fridge pants could be a thing. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we've we've microwaved underwear, right, on cold days. Why not fridge pants for cold for hot days? I mean, uh, truthfully, hold on. They've been doing. 
doing this. We're opening an online store. For decades. Fridge pants. Where, you know, before the microwave, what did they put their socks on? The radiator. Yeah. yeah over the fireplace. <laughs> Right? Over a building. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> They've been doing this just in the reverse, you know, to warm their clothes for decades. We need. Centuries, even. To create pants that have micro, like, freeze packets woven into the fabric. Sure. That will actually harden and freeze. But not melt. But not well, I mean, they could, they could, they'll probably melt, but well, it'll at least elongate the, about, the, the, the coldness. But not leak. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Because, you know, then it no longer looks like a nice pair of pants. It looks like you, <laughs> you weed yourself. yourself. You so weed yourself. <laughs> just, just so everyone is very clear and understanding. We are covering this topic today. <laughs> However, I promise you, we're gonna have fun with it. We're not <laughs> currently high. <laughs> I am hearing our conversation as not, we're having this it. This is not a hot box situation in the studio. I we know how it sounds. I do. Literally, just having fun conversation. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's let's talk about it. Okay. Medical marijuana is really kind of like the first. Um, step towards the legalization process right. across the board because it has slowly been seen that uh, medical cannabis can maybe not cure things. Like I know there have been big proclamations by that side of the world that right. this will cure your cancer, this will cure your everything. We don't really have... Proof. Uh, uh, proof of that. One way we, or the other. But we do have proof that it does help alleviate symptoms of things like glaucoma, uh, uh, chronic pain, these kind of things. Um, and in that instance, I feel like I was very skeptical for a long time, largely because... You would hear those things of it'll cure your cancer 100%. You right. It was factual claims being made yeah. that could be backed up. And so I think for the longest time, I'm like, now nah, this is just some excuse that people want to use to, to legally smoke marijuana, to smoke it and not get arrested. It'll cure your cancer. Okay. <laughs> but do you have cancer? <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Twist the mustache. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I think, I, but I thought that way pretty much up until the last few years. Yeah. Uh, I would say maybe about, uh, four or five years ago because my mother-in-law, uh, the one that, the, 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 you know, passed away earlier this year. You only have one mother-in-law. Yeah. Well, not everybody only has one for a multitude of reasons. Uh, <laughs> you only have one mother-in-law. But my mother-in-law had a very bad, uh, I think it was hip, hip pain, like just excruciating hip pain nonstop. And none of the pain medications they could give her would even cut it in half, like nothing. She was miserable for years with it. She um, started like drinking at night to try and at least get to sleep, but that was proving to be a problem. 
And so someone recommended she try medical marijuana, which I don't really know what her original reaction was, but I would think, you know, as a Christian, you grow up kind of like, there's no way, you know, there's no way I will be trying marijuana. I, I doubt that that was her reaction, I was but say. I know it would have probably been mine <laughs> at the time if I was in that situation. Um, but no, she she started trying it and she, I think she actually got like the vape packs of it. Uh, to use and you know it wasn't enough to get her she didn't ever use enough that got her like high or anything but she used the amount that would almost take the pain completely away Mm -hmm. like it didn't take it all the way away but it took away where she could function yeah without you know constantly feeling it and thinking about it like it was a complete game changer for my mom and so then uh i was about to out somebody else who's uh, still alive and yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I won't do that. But someone else in my life <laughs> who uh, has chronic back pain uh, started using it as well. Didn't use it. Doesn't doesn't still use it, but use it for a brief period of time bef- b- between like surgeries in order to you know be able to function and walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really worked uh, for them. My dad, who passed away a couple years ago now. For, I want to say, almost two years, had incredibly chronic, difficult back pain. He could barely walk. He always had to wear this brace. And we were begging him to try medical marijuana. Like, he also had cirrhosis of the liver. Like, he was dying. It was going to happen. There was just, it was very unlikely he was going to be able to get a transplant or even qualify for one. And so we're like, don't live these last two years not being able to move, walk, enjoy life, go places, just sitting here miserable in your chair. But he could not get past the stigma of marijuana. That was literally the reason he wouldn't try it. Mm-hmm. The furthest he would go was CBD, um, like muscle rub, yeah. muscle relaxant stuff. And that wasn't enough to yeah. do anything for him. But he, he could not get past the, the social stigma of marijuana to try that. And it wasn't a thing that, like, he wasn't working anymore. He, he didn't go out. He doesn't really have, you know, friends that he hung out with in the community. It wasn't a thing that was, a, that was like, you know, word will get out and my reputation yeah. will be ruined. He just could not, like, his entire life, he knew that was something he stayed away from. And he couldn't get past that stigma. And I really, really wish he would have, because he would have at least been able to enjoy the last couple of years of his life with uh, grandkids and everything else. Mm-hmm. But we barely got to do anything with him. Yeah. And that was a big bummer. Um, so... I guess I guess the point of all that that I just said mm-hmm. is if you're in the boat that I was in where you haven't experienced this as a part of your family uh, and, you know, you haven't seen this in action, it's a real thing. It's a real thing that really does help a lot of people. And so if you grew up like me and you had that image in your mind that stigmatizes all of it as bad, it might not be so cut and dry. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Um, I think for the most part, we are pretty much on the same page. I probably am uh, even more so for the legalization, possibly because I have a history 
with it. Um, Are you talking about medically or all totally? I'm talking about all totally. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I have, I have reasons. Okay. I have plenty we'll, we'll of reasons. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, but I grew up in, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, it was definitely not something that was encouraged by any means. You know, I kind of knew that it was, like I said, if I was caught doing something that was quote unquote wrong, it was going to come back on my parents. Yeah. You know, it was going to reflect poorly on them. Yeah. Um, so we never had like long in-depth conversations about, okay, well, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about, you know, how do we feel about alcohol? How do we feel about marijuana? It was just always kind of a blanket understanding that you just didn't do it. Yeah. Because it's illegal. Right. And therefore it's wrong. Right. Okay. As an adult, I found out that, well, so my stepdad raised me, um, and his dad and his oldest brother are both pharmacists. And so I found out as an adult that my grandfather and my uncle also have very strong educated opinions from a medical standpoint about marijuana, which has influenced my dad's opinion and belief and stance on it as well, which is very lenient, if you will. He is very much for medical marijuana and very much for the legalization of all marijuana, which is probably where I get a lot of my standings on it. Okay. So... Okay. Okay. Well, there are uh, there are people that make the claim that the Bible uh, advocates mm-hmm. the use of it, and it, it generally comes from a verse in Genesis called Genesis uh, Genesis one twenty nine, really early, where God said to Adam, "Behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have for them food." Mm-hmm. Uh, but. While there is a subgenre of marijuana use that is edible, uh, called edibles. Right. <laughs> marijuana in and of itself is not a food. Yeah. This passage gives no real support of smoking marijuana as a recreational right. high, and it's not really a, f- a food ingredient that does anything to improve its flavor. The right. only reason it's in there is so you can get high without having to smoke it. Uh, and it's also usually more potent mm-hmm. in edible form. I was going to say, I actually am not a super fan of ingesting marijuana right. through edibles. I don't, I don't think it, it's healthy or safe and that there's a lot of area for, um, harm to be done. Yeah. Or ac- accidental Mistakes with mm-hmm. children finding gummy yes. bears that are not yes. not the right kind of gummy bears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's that's what I think too. Uh, putting it in candy and all kinds of stuff like that's very dangerous. Yeah. Um, it also really doesn't <clears throat> taste good. <laughs> Uh, so the other uh, the other argument biblically and sinfully or whatever is comparing it to alcohol. Mm-hmm. So it is it is a a. a choice that a single person makes and the argument is if you do it responsibly in your own home blah 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 it's essentially the same as drinking alcohol mm-hmm. uh, the difference comes to 
down to intoxication. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the Bible is against drunkenness. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's against intoxication with alcohol, which is hard to nail down. I remember we had that big discussion uh, long ago on the podcast, uh, the Back Row Baptist podcast, for our 50th episode with Kevin, where we, where we nailed down, is drinking a sin right. by going through every single argument from every side that we could find mm-hmm. and discussing it. That is still one of my favorite it's a, it was discussions. A, it was maybe our first really good yeah. dive into a discussion, into mm-hmm. a topic. Um, and one of the questions that's harder to pin down is just, you know, how much intoxication re- is required for it to be drunk. Right. How about that? The- Bless you. <sighs> okay. <laughs> and that, that is hard to pin down. Uh, we kind of lean towards, well, I mean, I guess it's more the legal definition then, or, or when you are so impaired that you cannot make rational decisions mm-hmm. or things of that nature. Um, so if we're comparing that, if we're comparing the, the legal definition of, of intoxication, uh, it's been found that the same amount of intoxication occurs, um, you know, once you have a legal limit for alcohol, as it does with four puffs of a marijuana cigarette. Four puffs is enough to hit the legal limit of drunkenness equivalency. Um, again, well, again, I said earlier, there's so many variables <laughs> sure. that you have to put sure. into this account. Is, this, is a, this is a broad strokes kind of thing. Right. But again, most people who hit the legal limit of alcohol also don't feel drunk. Because that's not what sure. people consider getting drunk if you've hit the legal limit. Because that's usually a couple drinks. Okay. Yeah. You know, that's when you're intoxicated enough to be impaired from driving. Typically, it's one drink an well, hour. Yeah. I mean, it, that also is variable, too, depending right. on size, gender, exactly. and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. too. What's gender got but, to do with it? I'm just, oh, <laughs> a lot. Because <laughs> I can have babies? What? I, I can drink more or less? I need to know. No, I'm just kidding. Well, it depends if you have the baby with you. <laughs> <laughs> Two stomachs. <laughs> oh, wow. That... Whew. Most controversial thing. No, I'm that joking. Line. Absolutely joking. Absolutely joking. <laughs> All right. Not cool. Not funny, Matt. Admonish me. Not funny. Not funny. It's no joke. Let's All right. Leave it along. Um, <laughs> enough of this. <laughs> so, I guess what I'm saying is, if that's the standard, which I would say is a decent argument, at least that the same level of intoxication should be the standard. Most people wouldn't stop at four puffs, right? Uh, yeah. I, I, okay. Maybe not most people. Okay. I'm talking to you like you're this expert on marijuana. Right. <laughs> Just because you did it a couple times. So I think uh, you may be thinking like in terms of or visualizing comparing it to smoking a cigarette. Sure. Okay. And smoking a cigarette, I mean, you're going to take 15, 20, 25 puffs on this cigarette. It's going to take you a good 10 to 15 minutes to complete your cigarette. It's not the same. Okay. When 
smoking a joint, if you will, or the J word is in play, everybody. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of words. <laughs> um, the, the, I. 100% I could see people stopping after four puffs, okay. especially if they're using an appliance, if they're using a bowl instead of a joint. Okay. Because then your, your marijuana can remain inside packed. Is a bowl that the beaker looking thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That I saw on Breaking Bad. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, and they, you put just a little amount into the one end and you light it and just like you would a cigarette. Okay. It would be about four, four puffs. Okay. So yeah, I could. But probably at least riding the line of that. Mm, yeah. I mean, I definitely more than two. Right. I don't know anybody who's going to... I don't know anyone who's such a loser, they'd only do two. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying at all. I don't know anybody who's going to... I mean, essentially, you would be wasting money. You know, you wouldn't I got you. get a full use. Yeah, my money's worth out of this. Exactly. Uh, it's like when you buy a large pizza all for yourself and... You got to go on a trip the next morning. You can't take it with you. Well, I'm going to eat the whole thing then. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to waste pizza. Right. <laughs> yes. But I do think uh, four is a reasonable a reasonable amount. Okay. Another comparison that they make is caffeine. Caffeine to marijuana. Uh, caffeine is also a, a drug. Mm-hmm. That uh, Christians have no problem with. Uh-huh. We're we're all in favor <laughs> of caffeine, um, but again, I, I don't think those are really compatible because caffeine is a stimulant that increases focus and uh, 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 sharpens ordinary processing. That was a notification on my computer. God. I apologize for that. <laughs> Unlike caffeine, though, marijuana is not generally thought of as an empowering drug that enables you to be more alert. Uh, it, it's more a, a recreational escape, diminished accuracy, um, observation, memory, reasoning. It might let you think more clearly on your best thoughts ever or be brave enough to speak them. But at the same time, you are impairing your focus. I mean... Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I will also say that with caffeine, you can be impairing your focus and your body becomes dependent on it. Oh, yeah. And so... Caffeine is more equatable to cigarettes, in my mind. Okay. Because caffeine is one of those things that is a, is a, it's a chemical high, just like nicotine is. And the more you consume of it, the more receptors your brain has to actually develop in order to process it all. And so when you try and wean yourself off of caffeine, just like nicotine, those receptors in your brain start to die off because they're not needed anymore. But your brain is dumb and it interprets that as you are dying. 
And that's why you start to have those kind of shakes, the withdrawals, the kind of like, I need one of them now. I need mm-hmm. coffee now. I need mm-hmm. a cigarette now. And so I think those those work hand in hand very similarly. While marijuana doesn't really have that uh, as an issue, it's not really addictive, at least in the way that we consider actual addictions. It can right. be addictive as a activity, just like you can be addicted to Facebook. work. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. The gym. You can get a... Yeah. A dopamine hit or whatever from these, but it's not the same kind of like, it's not a chemical. You don't crave your body does not crave and does not grow a need to run off of marijuana. Whereas your body craves and grows a need to run off of nicotine and and caffeine. caffeine. You're right. 100%. And to me, that is more dangerous. It can be. Yeah, absolutely. And you're exactly right. Christians <laughs> drink caffeine, consume caffeine so in much. massive amounts. <laughs> Do you know, I've even seen a wave of Christian women who really push drinking caffeine, drinking coffee as a way to well, curb their hunger, mm-hmm. to lose weight, mm-hmm. to stay fit and desirable to their husband. And it's a, gr- it's a good thing. It's a thing that is praised among Christian women. Mm. And it blows my mind. Completely blows my mind. I don't understand it. Yeah. It's uh, the only Shonda Pierce joke I know. And it's caffeine, the Christian drug of choice. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, we got the argument. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, yes. Uh but that applies to so many things. So many things. <laughs> what you eat. What you eat. What kind of what music you, you listen to. All that kind I of I mean, stuff. you can even go down to the, the type of lotions you wear, the uh, shampoos, because your body, whether you realize it or not, when you rub that lotion, your body is taking it in. And there are chemicals that are in those lotions that are actually harmful to your body. If, so. if there is one thing I did not think we would be talking about, I'm just saying. it is the moral usage of lotions. But I am just saying. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you make a good point. I'm just saying that was a weird place for us to get to. It was a natural place. I mean, we got there naturally. I'm not saying anything against you. <laughs> I'm saying I'm uh, impressed. It's just taken. There. there are a lot of <clears throat> a lot of times where I just kind of sit and go, OK, I need to really look at this from a perspective that's not biased sure. or objective in any way, shape, or form. And I've done a lot of thinking on this. So, Okay. So now let's get to the question of uh, leading by example. Okay. As believers, we still know that we have to try and not be... A stumbling block? A stumbling block. To, you know, and that's and uh, we've had this discussion before. There's a, a degree that that goes to. Mm-hmm. We had that discussion in the drinking situation where someone said, well, even if someone sees you in line at Walmart with a pack of Bud Light, that's being a stumbling block. I'm like, that's 
that's not really fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's taking it a bit too far. If just seeing alcohol in somebody's cart is enough to make you stumble, you have more of a problem than just needing to avoid stumbling blocks. You yeah. have an addiction already. It would be a stumbling block. A, a fair usage of that term would be someone has an alcohol problem, you've invited them over for dinner, and you're serving wine or beer or whatever even though you know that they're going to have a problem with it and be tempted to do it. That's being a stumbling block. That's not being a good friend either. Right. But in this case, if uh, you're fine, I mean, I don't think this applies to medical usage. I think medical usage across the board should be fine uh, if legitimate, of course. Recreational usage, however, I think can become uh, an issue even from afar. Like if you are in, uh, if you are in a church with somebody you know openly uses recreational marijuana, I think that that can quickly lead to someone uh, jumping to all kinds of hoops in their head of okay, it must be fine, mm-hmm. and put someone down a path that probably they shouldn't have gone into. I, th- I, I mean, I, I guess I don't want to. I don't want to say just just it happening is is enough to be a stumbling block. But I do believe the bar is a little lower for that than it is for alcohol, just because it is such an outsider thing at the moment, especially in Christian cultures. Um, I might be wrong with that, but we also had this discussion with tattoos, and I kind of came on the same side. Even though I have tattoos of myself, I still kind of feel like it falls under that that category of. As of right now, it does seem to be more of a worldly category than it does a Christian category. Now, that's rapidly changing. And even in the time since we did that, which I think was 2016, mm-hmm. it's changed a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and there's that five years. Because now I know more Christians with tattoos than I know non-Christians with tattoos. Yeah. But uh, like it, it, it's, a, it's almost a moving target when it comes to what the usage of marijuana represents uh, as a whole. The, the, the stigmas behind it do mean something. Even if they're unfair or overblown, the stigmas behind it do present something that we should be wary of, especially when it comes to how we look to younger Christians or non-believers mm-hmm. to be set apart. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And I don't think, at least now, and that might change in the future, but I don't think we're at a point now where we can safely say that recreational use of marijuana for a Christian is an acceptable thing, um, at the very least, openly, if not at all. Do you disagree with me? And it's okay if you do. No, I agree with you. I I would say I probably lean more on the side of openly and I'm I'm having to meaning that you think it would be a little more acceptable if it wasn't an open situation. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um and I know that I'm going to have people who are like, well, if you can't be open about it, then you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Yes, but no. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, it's still, a, it's, it's an argument. It's an argument. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are arguments and they're not valid, but it's an argument. Um, 
sadly, we live in a judgmental culture. The church is judgmental. And as a people, we are quick to, I mean, and we prove this regularly, weekly, we prove this. Um, We're quick to decide how we feel and what we think. And then we stand firm on how we feel and what we think. And we are not easily swayed to listen to the other side's research, opinions, or their beliefs. That's one of the reasons we don't really talk about COVID all that much anymore. Like, I'm going to talk about it a little bit this week, but we don't we do not do full shows on it anymore because at this point... We're not changing whatever, anybody's whatever, Yeah, whatever opinion you have, that's your opinion. It's not uh-huh. going to change no matter what is said. And for the most part, <laughs> these big, hot topic discussions, that's how it's that going all, yeah. to be. Always. Yeah. You know, and so to walk around or you know, to come to church ready to serve, ready to sing on the worship team or run sound or work with the children, whatever. And your congregation knows that you were smoking in the parking lot. There's going to be people who are going to raise issue with it Mm -hmm. in that regard for your walk, for their walk, for the health and the unity of the body, it's probably not best that it's an open thing. If for a recreational reason, just the same that someone would go have a glass of wine or a beer or a cider, whatever, for recreational purposes, if you choose to consume marijuana, As long as you don't take it past the line of which, you know, it then becomes something that is all consuming, something that becomes all that you can think about. It becomes an addiction, you know, um, as long as it's something that is literally done recreationally, I don't see a harm in it. When you consider what recreational means. It's not something that you do all the time, right? Yeah. Recreation is, I don't want to say for fun in terms of marijuana, but that is what recreational time. means here or there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't go take my RV every day that I go to work. It's used once in a while. Okay. I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not all the way there, but that's fair. I see your opinion yeah. and I don't think it's invalid at all. Um, okay. 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 Make it, you making me think not bad. Okay. Um, uh, uh, well, <laughs> the title of the next segment of this article that oh, we're going gosh. through. Gosh, here we go. There's no merit to recreational use of marijuana. Um, okay, so this is what this says. It says, finally, let's remember that there's only external power to which you should yield conscious control or under whose influence you should come. That's the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine. Uh, and they put in parentheses or high on marijuana for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. So I guess, again, this comes down to, is it possible 
to use marijuana without getting to the point where you're actually quote unquote high or intoxicated. I believe it absolutely is 100%. Yeah. Like there's, there's just like alcohol, there's levels to it before you reach a point of intoxication. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, see, I've never really heard that before that, uh, there would be levels to it. I think that it's even more, I think that it can be even more controlled than alcohol. Than alcohol? Yeah. I think it as can be. As long as you know exactly what you're using. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, it needs to be safe. It you And okay, so I'm just going right into it. That okay. is one of my reasons why I do, I am pro legalization. Okay. Because if and when it is legal, you're not going to have as many cases of people putting harmful things, unnatural things into their weed and then selling it. Right. Because when it's, when it's legalized, it's also regulated. Exactly. Meaning there are Just standards like that it has to reach. Just like tobacco. Right. That was the whole purpose of, man, I, my brain just had a fart. But when tobacco went through the legalization process and, and there, it was being researched and looked into as to whether or not cigarettes were okay and should be sold in stores. I mean, they wanted to be able to tax it, number one. Right. But number two, they also wanted to be able to control it, to regulate it. It is very much the same. I have never really been able to wrap my mind around why they are thought of as two very completely different objects because they're not it come, I guess it comes down to the intoxication level but I would I I feel like at least the stats for health are concerned cigarettes are far worse for you far worse far worse for you and it goes right back to the argument of cigarettes are far more addictive and they're the stimulant that your body craves and has to mm -hmm. have and mm -hmm. you go through these periods of withdrawal when you're trying to quit. I was a smoker. I was a cigarette smoker for five years. Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> Quitting cigarettes was by far one of the worst things that I have ever had to do mm. as an adult. It was brutally painful, awful. My mom has been a smoker her entire adult life. I remember multiple times that she tried to quit and multiple times that I said, just smoke a cigarette because she was <laughs> awful. You're driving us nuts. Yes. <laughs> yes. I say this with jest, but my brother was two. The very first time that I remember my mom trying to quit smoking, my brother was two. I was nine. My brother spilled dirt and my mom lost it. Like she, because she was just so frazzled, yeah, she was yeah. at her wits end, you know, Right. and she lost it. And that, and that was the first time I ever heard my mom say a cuss word. It's probably <laughs> the last time, honestly, that I ever heard her say a cuss word. And that was the first time that I looked at her and said, just smoke a cigarette. <laughs> at nine years old, I knew and could rationalize the fact that she's not getting what her body thinks it needs. Yeah. And so it's causing her to become something that she's not. Hmm. And the only way to get better, or so you think, yeah. is to fill that need. You know, eventually your body adjusts and yeah. 
long-term health is way better, of course, but it's getting through that initial pain of quitting and withdrawals. That's awful. And that's not just with cigarettes. That's not just with caffeine. You know what else does that? Opiates. Yeah. Pain pills. Yeah. Things that your doctors are giving you a prescription for every single day. Yeah. They're killing people. My husband is disabled and has to have three different narcotics that he has to be on in order to live a life that a 35-year-old should be able to live. And it terrifies me daily that these things are killing him internally. Yeah. Killing him. That medical marijuana wouldn't be doing to him. Hmm. And probably, just like you said with your mother-in-law, would probably be... More effective. More effective. Absolutely. Than what he's throwing in his body multiple times a day. Yeah. Yeah, that is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess when it comes to the question of should we legalize the recreational use of marijuana, I am in favor of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe not for the exact same reasons or conclusions that you came to, but one of them definitely the regulation mm-hmm. of its creation makes it safer mm-hmm. uh, because people are getting it anyway. Absolutely. Another reason is I think it's, it has sent a lot of people to, to jail for a very, very long time. And it's not really that. I don't, I don't think it's ever really warranted it aside from like, you know, drug Lords and crazy stuff. You know, people who just use it recreationally, who are caught with a little bit of it, uh, you know, that that shouldn't send someone to jail. That Absolutely. Shouldn't, that shouldn't ruin their entire life. Yeah. Um, I can, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I can remember hearing as a teenager, and I'm sure you did too, but marijuana is the gateway drug. Right. And there's really no research to back that up. There is not any true research. I think what a lot of people fail to realize is that what ends up happening is yes, people have become addicted to the use, not addicted to marijuana, but addicted to the practice of smoking. And they begin to think, okay, well, how can I fill this? How can I make sure that I'm going to continue in this way? And we know what ends up happening. You know, Mm -hmm. they end up selling in order to have some mm-hmm. and make money. And that becomes a, a domino effect, right. if you will. That's the gateway. It's not that once you smoke marijuana, then you're going to go to the next drug and then the next drug and the next drug. It is a lifestyle. It is something that can be um, a stepping stone, but it's definitely not a hard. Once you smoke marijuana, you're going to the right. You're going to be smoking crack. That's right. not. That's it's, 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 it's a, um, the people that make a jump from one to the other, uh, to the harder stuff are people that are already looking for a more potent mm-hmm. drug. Mm-hmm. It's not a, uh, well now I tried this and now I need something better. It's a, that's not enough. Yeah. <laughs> Right. It's it's the same uh, same mindset of people who get drunk. Uh, two beers, that's not enough. 
I'm mm-hmm. still remembering whatever pain I'm in or I'm exactly. still whatever this is. Yep. I can still feel things. That's not enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a whole different situation. Now, it might have introduced you to that world, like you said. Right. And that might have, might have opened that doors. But then again, legalizing it takes that away. Yes. Exactly. Takes that away. You are no longer having to go to back alleys uh-huh. to get this if this is something. Now, the argument against it I can see is... There might be a whole group of people who never would have tried marijuana or gotten into that culture if it wasn't eventually legalized. Okay. And I can see I can see that. Right. But at the same time, I feel like that's also probably going to be as far as they go because if they would never would have gotten to marijuana to begin with, they're definitely not going to go try and find illegal opioids or right. whatever being sold on the street. It uh It reminds me of something my older brother said when I was younger that really struck a chord with me. He said, I really think they should legalize all drugs because society will eventually kind of regulate that itself. It's just like they did with, I mean, they tried prohibition and that did not work at all. Once they legalized alcohol again, people were like, dude, don't be a drunk. Yeah. You know, the the world, the people that are going to be abusing this stuff are going to abuse it one way or the other. Absolutely. Society... And your friends and your family or whatever are going to be the ones that convince you not to go down that path. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be the government and whether or not it's legal. It's not going to be the Bible. (laughs) Most of the cases, it's going to be the people around you who see what it's doing to you. Right. Those are the people that are going to convince you, hey, don't do this stuff. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus can't step in and stop stop you from, you know, change your mind, change your outlook. That happens all the time. Yeah. But I am saying that for the most part, it's going to be peer pressure. (laughs) It's like, dude, don't do this. Mm -hmm. Dude, don't be a crackhead. No, but you really want to waste your life doing this stuff? Let me help you. You know, that kind of stuff happens. That regulates it. But it's not going to be made worse by the legalization of marijuana. Correct. And in many cases, it'll make situations better. Uh-huh. There's uh, something going on in New York right now where, uh, and it's very controversial, and I can see kind of both sides of it, and it's very similar, but there's a uh, um, organization, I guess, I don't know what else to use it, that's parked two vans in uh, high traffic areas in New York. Okay. That is pretty much advertised as if you're going to do drugs, come do it here in this van. Okay. In this van, we have medical personnel. We have the drugs that uh, help stop overdoses. Uh, I don't remember what it's called, but you know, Narcan. Yeah, or yeah, that and something else too. Uh, we, we're we're set up to make sure that if you're going to do this anyway, we're going to keep you alive and we're going to help you do it as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. You can see how that'd be very controversial because it, on one hand, kind of seems like it's saying, come do drugs. Yeah. It's a good, we'll be here to help you. It's okay. There's no consequences. On the other side, it's like, these people might die. Yeah. They're going to do it. They might die. Let's try and keep them alive a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the same mindset I've had, like with the death penalty. And let me explain. <laughs> I know those don't seem to equate, but hold on. Mm-hmm. I've never really been for the death penalty because in my mind, what's the, what that is doing is as soon as we purposefully take someone's life, we have then cut off any future opportunity for them to come to Christ. Mm-hmm. In 
And here I'm kind of in the same boat. If someone's going to do drugs, I'd rather them do it as safe as possible and have them live and have the opportunity for Jesus to rescue them from that rather than put their life at risk and no one be there to care about them or help them. And I, I know, I know it's not a black and white thing. That's why we're talking about gray areas this week. It's not just straight black and white. There are variables on all sides of every argument that we've been talking about. But it really comes down to, to me, the heart for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'd have this mindset if it wasn't for being in Celebrate Recovery. Right. And seeing the people yes. that were hopeless wrecks, that did overdose and nearly die, that that for m- even the majority of their life, you know, I'm thinking of like, like a, our friend Steve, who's what, 60, 70 something, like he's super old <laughs> compared to the rest of us. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> and he <laughs> he used he used he was a hardcore meth user for so much of his life up until like a year before we met him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came in, flipped his whole script. He's this awesome on fire guy that brings people to CR as often as he can, goes out of his way to drive people to CR because he has seen the freedom that Jesus can bring. And I just praise God that he survived his life up until then Mm -hmm. so he could do it. And I want that for everybody who's caught in whatever it is, (laughs) whatever situation they are in. And the same thing goes for recreational marijuana users in places where it's not legal because it is very dangerous when it's unregulated. Mm Mm-hmm. Or I'm even remembering a few years ago, or maybe a decade or so ago, we had those uh, synthetic marijuana things mm-hmm. that were being sold legally yes. for a brief period of time at gas yep. stations and stuff that would give you, that would turn you into a zombie monster. Yep. Somebody in my uh, hometown of Albuquerque at that time took some and literally like ate a person, not yeah. like a full person, but like took big bites out of a person. Mm-hmm. Like, turn him into a friggin' zombie cannibal. That's scary. Yep. And if that guy had access to just normal legal marijuana that was made in a controlled environment and regulated, he would not have killed a person and ate part of him. He would have gone on with his normal life the very next day. Like, that kind of stuff is enough for me to say, yeah, okay, maybe let's regulate this stuff. Yeah. I don't care about the taxes. I'm sure that's one of the main reasons our state's doing it or most states are doing it. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's not a morality issue uh, at all for the government, but I just, it's, it's such, it's such a gray area that I don't think a lot of Christians are willing to really sit down and think and talk through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, so for me, I really, like I said, I've had a lot of time to process and think on it and kind of mull it over and, you know, look at all areas of it. We have talked about how marijuana, unlike 
caffeine and nicotine is not a stimulant. Kind of brings you down a little bit more. Yeah. In most cases. It's a mellow, mellow situation Mm -hmm. in most cases. So for those of us who have high anxiety or panic or paranoia, you know, those are things that a lot of people and a lot of Christians suffer through on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and are taking medication for medication that's created in a lab that we're not a hundred percent sure has gone into it could be doing probably is doing internal damage to your body. Whereas I'm sorry, just let me add to that. Just that little point. It wasn't until I was flirting with like diabetes Mm -hmm. that I realized that even the most common over the counter drugs are harmful to you. Yes. Normally on a normal basis. And it's only when your body starts to get to a point where like, okay, it's kind of on the edge of being worse. They're like, okay, stop taking that point. Yes. Think about it, Matt. Aspirin, you know, all these, it's just normal stuff. Like I, there's only one kind of pain reliever I was allowed to take. And now it's the only one I take Mm -hmm. because it's the least bad. (laughs) Well, okay. So think of a a commercial for any type of medicine Mm -hmm. that they're pushing, right? It's a, it's a headache medic medication may cause this entire list of things that are potentially deadly on top of headaches. Yeah. I always love that. Almost every single thing that's meant to cure something can also cause a worse version of what you're trying to cure. Exactly. But we don't think about that twice. We don't give it two thoughts. Right. They must know what they're doing. We have the FDA. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother episode in and of itself. Um, But Uh, truthfully, when you take a honest step back and you look at it and you go, okay, wait a minute, there's so much for all of my life that I have just been willing to put into my body without even giving it two seconds thought, Yeah, you know, I've been okay with it, but because this one thing has been deemed bad Mm -hmm. by society, I too am a. I'm going to say that it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I think in the end, uh, when it comes to personal recreational use, it's got to come down to like most things in the Bible. It's a personal conclusion that you have to reach based on your relationship with it in comparison to your relationship with God. Mm -hmm. There are, some things that are sins for some people that are not sins for other people. Right. Uh, and I think that's made very clear. If someone is convinced that eating meat is a sin, even though that act in and of itself is not sinful, it's not listed as a sin in the Bible. If someone believes it is a sin for them to eat meat, then to break that, that, uh, oath that they've made that they won't is still sin to them because they are going against God in their heart. Mm -hmm. The act itself might not be a sin, but the, the, uh, 
fact that they did it. <laughs> the action. The act isn't the sin. The action is the sin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing like with lying. <laughs> like this, I had a really conversation, a big conversation with someone that took a, it was a really hard for me to get this across. So I'm going to try and get it across clearly here. If you tell a lie to somebody that turns out to actually have been the truth that you didn't know was the truth when you said it, you're not off the hook for that sin. Even though you technically told them the truth, your heart was Absolutely. lying to that person. It is a and heart matter. So that matter. is a sin. Yeah. So the act might have not been a sin, but the action was a sin. Right. What happened, you told them the truth. Well, that's not a sin. But you told it thinking it was a lie in order to deceive them. That is a sin. Consciously thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be aware of your own limitations and what is sin for you. For me, I know that overeating, uh, and I know my limit of what overeating is, is a sin. For somebody who is a, a decent weight, can have a decent health, and can every now and then splurge on a big meal without it really impacting their, their, their health or their, their promises to, you know, not promises, but their devotion to, uh, keeping their temple pure, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, being healthy, uh, in the way that God desires us to be healthy. That's not a sin for them. Mm -hmm. It would be a sin for me because, oh, well, it's not that rare of a thing for me (laughs) for drinking. You know, some people can have a, you know, an occasional beer or wine or whatever, and it not be an issue with them whatsoever. And some people know that if they have one drink, it's going to lead to more. And so they have to avoid drinking altogether. Mm -hmm. And so while drinking in itself might not be a sin, even having a single sip of alcohol could be a sin for one person. And so with this, I feel like you have to do the exact same kind of evaluation. Mm Mm-hmm. And I believe that for many Christians at this point in time, smoking marijuana would be a sin because you believe it's a sin because you've been brought up thinking it's a sin and because you know that your heart would feel like it is going against God if you decided to step out and try it. So that is a sin for many believers, but there might be some like Mo. Who? Way to just call me out. <laughs> I'm not saying, I mean, she's not an active user of mm-hmm. it, but you know, some with the mindset that Mo has in this situation and Mo, you know, I have mostly the same mindset I'm realizing, uh, <laughs> who could be able to recreationally take a couple puffs of marijuana and it not really affect their faith or their walk or their life in any real way, uh, when it comes to morality. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that. Now, with all this, we could be missing something. We could be completely wrong. It feels kind of weird to say all this stuff out loud because it's stuff that maybe most of us aren't willing to say. And it might be a conversation most of us haven't been willing to have because we've just kind of written it off as definitely a sin because of the way we were grown up or because of the subculture around it. Mm-hmm. If you have a, 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 a conflicting thought, we want to hear it. So we'd encourage you to join backrowdiscord.com, go to the respond to show section 
and uh, talk to us about it. Because we're not above being proven wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, do you have anything last thing to say on this topic? No. Okay. I think we're going to end it there. Um, this week is all about examining the gray areas. Uh, we're going to try and be more concise with the things that we talk about in the next <laughs> two segments of this this topic this week. Um, Mo? When we come back, <laughs> we're going to um, open the discussion to several of these gray areas and how society's changes over time have put Christians in an increasingly difficult position. More after the break. Laughland, and this is Reviews of the Nerds. Today, I'm reviewing the anime series Fruits Basket. Fruits Basket first became serialized as a manga, a Japanese graphic novel, in the Japanese manga magazine Hana to Yume in 1998 by mangaka Natsuki Takaya. Since then, it has spawned 23 volumes of manga and two TV series, not to mention quite a bit of merchandise and collectibles. The original anime series had only one season that was released in July of 2001, and ended because the manga was not yet complete, as Takuya fell ill and took time away from the manga in order to recover. Takuya did eventually recover and went on to finish the manga, which published its last volume in March 2007. Since then, a remade series was released in April 2019 and ran three seasons, which completed the story Takuya set out to tell. The story of Fruits Basket follows teenager Toru Honda, a kind, selfless girl who loses both of her parents, first her dad at the age of three, and then her mother just months before the series starts. We see the way she bravely and optimistically navigates being homeless, gaining a new home, making new friends, and falling in love. She meets the Samas, a family who house the spirits of the animals of the Zodiac within their bodies, and once hugged by the opposite sex, transform into their respective Zodiac animals. Toto is taken in by Shigurei Soma, who houses the spirit of the dog, and his cousins Yugi, who is the spirit of the rat, and Kyo, the spirit of the cat, who also live in the house. What follows is a rich story full of laughter, mystery, love, and a plethora of emotional moments that will break your heart and warm it, sometimes in the same episode. I've read the manga and watched the original anime series numerous times over the years, and while I recommend both, the reinvigorated 2019 Fruits Basket brings you the complete story in a shiny, bright, gorgeously animated package. It's a series I highly recommend to those who are anime veterans, and especially for newcomers looking for a starting point within the anime world who are looking for non-cheesy rom-coms. I give Fruits Basket a strong 10 out of 10. I'm Brittany Laughland, and remember, no matter how small, everyone always has a plum on their back. And even if you can't see it, someone else always can. This week in nerdy news, this is LTNN. Emoji are the new language of this generation, and their usage is tracked extensively to see just how we communicate with each other. And in 2021, for the fifth year in a row, one emoji comes out on top as the most used, face with tears of joy. It is followed closely by red heart and rolling on the floor laughing. Rounding up the top 10 are the thumbs up, loudly crying face, 
prayer hands, face blowing a kiss, smiling face with hearts, smiling face with heart eyes, and smiling face with smiling eyes. And even though most of this year's top 10 were also in last year's top 10, below those rankings, there was quite a bit of movement. Out of the 3,663 official emoji, we saw the balloon jump from 139 to 48, the birthday cake up to 25 from 113, and the pleading face rose from 97 to 14. What is surprising with this year's stats is that the use of pandemic-related emoji, such as the microbe, didn't experience much growth at all, with the microbe barely sneaking into the top 500. Smiley with face mask only rose about 30 spots, up from 186 to 156, which, given the nature of society worldwide, seems low. It appears a global pandemic that changed the way we live had little effect on how we express ourselves virtually. That was This Week in Nerdy News. I'm Radio Matt, and this is LTNN. Welcome back to the Back Row Morning Show. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And every week, these three main segments get spread out across the three daily morning shows on LTN Radio, and they include a lot more content, including weird news, random facts, games, challenges, rants, Discord arguments, junk food, and more. And you can be a part of all that by following us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash LTN on air, so you'll be notified when we go live. You can even be a part of the show. And make sure you catch our full morning shows every Monday through Thursday on LTNonair.com at 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10. Last time we talked about marijuana and the Christian response to its growing use and the gray area surrounding its legalization at various levels, but that's only one of such gray areas where the Bible may not seem to be clear on. We're going to talk about a few more gray areas that many believers struggle with on a regular basis and see if there is a method for figuring these out. So these really aren't going to be all that controversial, and we talked about a few of them. Um... In the previous segment, we talked about drinking, we talked about smoking. Um, But what about things like dating, kissing, premarital handholding? Wow. Wow. What about it, Matt? It's a gray area. I remember growing up in my youth group, and that was the that was the um, era of the "I Kiss Dating Goodbye" book, which Joshua Harris, we've talked about, renounced and then left the faith. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I was never all that in for the no dating thing growing up. Like, well, I definitely wasn't. I wanted to date. I was ready to date. I I was ready to date in first grade. (laughs) (laughs) I'm way off subject, but I do not, I'm not okay with first graders or second graders (laughs) pairing up. (laughs) I'm not for multiple reasons. But especially from an educator standpoint, it is such a huge distraction in the classroom. (laughs) I can't deal. Uh, I told you about my first grade girlfriend, Yes, right? you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We went around telling everybody we kissed mm-hmm. when we definitely did not kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, where are you learning these things? <laughs> uh, I'm not even surprised anymore. <laughs> but like, okay, well, let's, let's like, like kissing. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. That is a incredibly intimate act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and can, it, I mean, 
we're being honest. You're dating somebody. You go from cute little pecs to Mm -hmm. much more than that. Roll quick. Real quick. Roll quick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are some people uh, in our lives that were committed to not kissing their significant other until their wedding day. Yep. Which I admire. I could never have done it, but I admire it. Yeah. In fact, I really think Bubba and Anna did that. Really? Yeah. Our church nerds compatriots uh, on Fridays. I'm pretty sure that was a thing in their relationship is they did not have their first kiss until their wedding day. Mm. I do admire that. And I honestly feel like that's probably ideal. But does that necessarily mean that kissing before marriage, even if it's a little bit more passionate than a peck, is sinful? If it doesn't lead to anything else. I mean, again, I think that it goes, I keep hitting the mic. I don't think in (laughs) at least two years I've hit the mic as much as I have this week. (laughs) Um, Okay. I think that like everything and kind of where you ended the last segment, you know, it depends upon a personal standpoint. Yeah. You know, I... I will go ahead and say that my oldest made that decision for himself. And I didn't even know that that was a decision or a standard that he had set for himself when he, without even knowing it, when he first started dating, he had actually been dating his girlfriend for a day. And I had felt this huge conviction to sit him down and just have kind of an open conversation with him and Chris and myself about okay, well, this is how I would like for dating to look like for you, but you have to make your own decisions. You know, this is your purity, not mine. I can't live your purity for you. Um, And so it was then that he was like, okay, well, actually, so-and-so and and I are dating as of yesterday. Okay. (laughs) Which, you know, I can look back now and be like, okay, thanks, God. That was, that was all you. (laughs) Good timing. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, but in that conversation, I talked with him about, you know, it's not necessarily sinful for you to hold her hand. It's not sinful for you to hug her. It's not sinful for you to want to kiss her. But if those things are going to lead to something else, then maybe it's best for you to just steer clear of them. Yeah. Just keep yourself safe and wait. You know, I've used the fire analogy, how fire in and of itself is not a bad thing when it's used within a fireplace or a fire pit or somewhere where it's contained in its rightful purpose. It's not a bad thing, but when it's used outside of its purpose and outside of a confined space, it can be very destructive. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I explained any sort of intimacy with someone who you're dating can quickly grow like a wildfire without you even really realizing it. Yeah. You know? And so for a person, it depends upon the individual, I think. And I I do think it takes a keen awareness of what's really going on in your own mind. Mm-hmm. You used a fire analogy. Let me use a water analogy. Okay. You turn the shower all the way to hot and then step into that shower. Mm-hmm. Immediately you want to step back out. 
right. burning your skin hot. But yeah. if you choose to stay in there, the longer you're in it, the less hot it feels. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you get to a point where, well, let's use my own life. If you get to a point where my wife and I were, where we were sneaking up to the youth room to French kiss, you know, in our first six months of dating, mm-hmm. uh, that should have been a, a you know a, a hot water situation where right. I'm like let's back up out of this mm-hmm. this is burning this hurts yeah uh, instead we acclimated mm-hmm. and just continued on in that route and I think the longer you stay in the hot water the more you get comfortable in it mm-hmm. to the point where it doesn't hurt anymore yeah and that is dangerous mm-hmm. now I was a we were both. Hormone-ridden teenagers, Mm -hmm. but most of us are when we start down this path. And so I think that the wiser choice would be just to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it a realistic choice? No. Right. (laughs) And the same thing goes all the way through that, all the way up through intercourse, you know, premarital Mm -hmm. sex. It, It, the best thing is abstinence. Is it a reality? Not for most people. Right. And that's heartbreaking, but it's also irresponsible responsible of us not to assume that, yeah, people are going to be tempted to do this because people like it. Right. <laughs> right. We were made to enjoy it, and so they're going to want to get there as soon as possible, and consequences and marriage vows be darned uh, when we're in the heat of the moment. And so it... That is just like you said. It's a, it's a situation where you got to kind of grade that and grade yourself and be honest about how much you can trust yourself to not take it too far. Right. Uh, I I failed. I failed in that. Uh, you know, we we might have technically remained virgins until marriage, but everything short of that, yeah, we screwed up, and so it kind of felt like a hollow victory. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, well, we have that check box, you know, check mark. We can, we can cross that off. We did that, but might as well have the world's biggest asterisk on it. I can't pronounce that word. Asterisk. Asterisk. That's right. And I feel like it's kind of that way for most Christians. Yeah. (laughs) It's like anything short of that final goal, we're good. Mm -hmm. And that's not, no, not really, not really true. Yeah. Not really true. Um, Another gray area, and we talked about, and I think this falls outside of that, is smoking. Mm. I don't think there's ever a situation where you can say, yeah, I can smoke just a little bit and it's fine. As in cigarettes. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Sorry, smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Because there's no real benefit to it. No. At all. It is only detrimental to you. Mm-hmm. And the more you do it, the more detrimental it is to you. Mm-hmm. But then you have like, you have eating. Overeating, always detrimental to you, but eating, necessary to life. Very under-eating. hard. Undereating, very bad for you. Exactly. Very hard line to cross, or very hard uh, tightrope to walk for a lot of people. Most fall on one side or the other, and not straight in the middle. That's a very difficult gray area. And healthy isn't always defined by weight. Exactly. Now, I know that there was a large portion of my life where even though I was bigger, 
I was very healthy. And that was kind of one of the negative things that got me to being an unhealthy weight. It's because I would go to the doctor and they would check all my stuff and be like, well, you're in perfect health. You're just overweight, lose weight. But nothing, the weight wasn't doing anything to me at the time. And so I didn't feel any need to get better. And I just kept getting bigger. Eventually I reached a point where, okay, yeah, now it's having some negative effects and I'm having a hard time to get back to a place where it's healthy again. Right. Uh, and so that's another gray area in which I failed. Um, the music we listen to, the movies we watch, the mm-hmm. TV shows that we watch, there was a, I feel like, well, oh, this is going to sound weird. It's going to sound bad. <laughs> <laughs> I watch a lot of shows that have a lot of cussing and violence in them. Mm-hmm. I do not watch shows or movies that have sex in them, mm-hmm. nudity, or a lot of inappropriate sexual jokes or humor and stuff like that. Because I know that pornography and stuff like that is an issue that I've dealt with in the past. And I don't want to give a foothold to that in my life again. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really have a problem with cussing and violence. Uh, I, I see it as realistic to the real world most times. Sometimes it goes way over the board, like Squid Game and stuff like that. Oh. But <laughs> but I, I feel like I can separate reality from fiction. I can separate... Uh, I don't feel it has a... Ne- let, me, let me put it that way. I don't feel like it has a, a an overwhelming negative impact on myself. Mm-hmm. And it's also not a common thing. I'm mostly watching Marvel movies and Disney movies. <laughs> it's, it's a uh, Squid Game or whatever here and there is a very rare occurrence. But I also really I don't feel negatively impacted by it. I... Uh, we've also talked about, I mean, I'm going to keep going on a whole, whole spool of things. You need to cut me off at some point, but <laughs> jumping off that with the cussing, we've had the discussions about cussing and is, mm-hmm. is saying cuss words specifically the sin or is it the mentality behind what you're saying? That is the sin. Mm-hmm. What makes this specific four letter word bad, but this other word, not bad. How is saying, you know, D A M N any different from saying dang or darn if the it's mentality not. is exactly the same. Exactly. It's a very gray area, but we want to boil it down to what we think is black and white, but we're wrong. So I've he, jump in. You ready yes. for this? Um, just to add to your cussing argument, Okay. just had this conversation two nights ago with a really good friend standing in church She said, in response to a question her husband asked her, she said, H-E-L-L, no. (laughs) And he looks at her and says, did you just say that in church? And she said, yeah, I absolutely did say that in church. It doesn't count. Well, no, her argument, listen, her argument was, it's a place. What's the difference in me saying heavens no? Oh, I'm, mis- I'm misunderstanding you. I thought you literally meant she said H-E-L-L oh, no, no, no. And no. thought that that made it okay. No. Because she spelled it. No, she said okay. it. Okay. That's less it. ridiculous, but you could see why I laughed so yeah, hard. <laughs> I got it now. No, she actually said oh, okay. hell. Okay. And yeah, um, followed by her answer, her response. <laughs> and it just, it threw him. Yeah. You know, and yeah. he's like, you just said that in the middle of church. Yeah. 
It's the, a place. Yeah, I mean, what would you have? The pastor has said it from the pulpit. Would you have thought differently <laughs> of me had I said heavens? No, uh, heavens but it's used in well, the yes, same. I would have thought you from the fifties. Right, <laughs> heavens no. But just like you're saying about darn versus, yeah, 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 yeah. it's used in the same aspect in the same heck no yeah <laughs> it's the same thing i would honestly rather you say instead of heck just say it because heck ain't a place <laughs> if that's your argument yeah if we're being real and this is just a funny thing about me i enjoy the fake cuss word uh-huh. more because they're funner to say. So that's how I grew up. That's how, like, I don't remember if it was a generational thing, if it was regional. I'm not sure. But, I mean, we used, like, the, you're talking about the snakes on the plane, the Monday to Friday. Yeah, Monday to this Friday. This Monday plane. to Friday, you know, we just, I can remember having conversations with my friends and just without even thinking off the cuff, replacing cuss words with words, you know? And so like that old orbit, those orbit commercials. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's where it originated from. Shut the front door. Yes. <laughs> and so for me at this point now, it's not, I genuinely am not replacing a cuss word. I'm using the words that I've just grown accustomed to using. You lint liquor. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. In high school, um, Bubba and I and a few of our friends would, we started saying F. Yeah. Not like F this, F that, just F. F. (laughs) What the F? Uh, My older brother used to say foot. And Mm -hmm. so I did that for a while. Foot. (laughs) But you really have to enunciate that to make sure people know what you're saying. Yeah. But I mean, it gave, it gives, gives you the same feeling. So how is that spiritually any different? It's you know, not. It's not. It's not at all. It's it's those consonants that <laughs> give you satisfaction in a way that is releasing your anger instead of dealing with it in an appropriate manner. Mm-hmm. And so for me, someone who I have struggled with anger, I've struggled with anger my entire life, entire life. Um, I think that it's just something that comes naturally to me, it's a natural response when I'm my, I'm feeling lonely. It's a natural response when I'm worried. It's a natural response when I'm hurt. You get angry when you're lonely? Yeah. Hmm. I then become self-deprecating and I get angry with myself. Okay. Why okay. are you, what are, what's wrong with you? What have you done? Why have you pushed so many people away? And then the second that someone tries to come and talk to me, my response to them is, not kind. It's going to be snappy and leaning more towards anger. You, you didn't care about me 10 minutes ago. Exactly. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. I've never been that way. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail your thought. No, that's Keep fine. Um, so for someone who is inclined to be more angry, um, hearing curse words or watching movies that have a lot of violence or a lot of intense scenes a lot of underlying anger that is unhealthy for me i have to be very careful you start to feel the emotions yes. from the movie uh-huh. as if they were my your heart own. begins to race <laughs> i you know 
I'm thinking things inside my head that all push me towards anger. I also learned early in Celebrate Recovery, you know, when I first started attending Celebrate Recovery, it was because for 10 years I had believed that Chris was doing things within our marriage that he wasn't doing. And part of that was because of my parents' history, my parents' past, but also because of things that I was watching and listening to. There was a lot of this, you know, drama filled, unhealthy marriages, unhealthy relationships. And so it was constantly, I was just, well, (laughs) actually not like, no, not even that. No, like more. Um, I mean, there was a, there was a time where I could not even watch like Hallmark movies or even some Disney movies because it fictionalizes relationships. Mm, Okay. You know, and it gives you this false impression of what a marriage or a relationship actually is. And so when Chris wasn't coming home at exactly the same time every day, just ready to greet me, who are you sleeping with? You know, immediately. And so I, I, I don't even necessarily think that anybody said anything or pointed me in that direction, but I just stopped watching it and didn't watch it for at least two years. And then all of a sudden realized I'm not having those same thoughts anymore. Oh, I'm the jerk. Yeah. (laughs) The, Oh, I'm the jerk moment. Honestly. Yes. Um, Love those. Yeah. Those are the best. (laughs) But you never really realize how much outside influences affect those gray areas until you're in them. You know, someone who has a shopping addiction. Ooh, that's my mom and kind of me because of my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something. I've had to rein it in. Yeah. Yeah. And you were talking about stumbling blocks in the last segment. I, I mean, what do women like to do together? Hey, you want to go shop? You mm-hmm. want to go grab a coffee and go, you know, go do this and not even realizing it. I could be causing an issue within one of my friends lives. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You wouldn't know that unless they said something. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so, that, uh, I mean, there's a reason I had so many Funko Pops. <laughs> there was uh, several years uh, early on in this collection where I'm like buying 10 a day, hmm. like nutsoid amount really quickly. Yeah. I went from having three to having 300 in a year, which is a lot of money Yeah, <laughs> being spent really fast. And, uh, I realized it was, it was because I had, I was struggling with some emotions that I didn't want to deal with. And so I avoided that by the dopamine hit of Amazon, mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazon cart. Yeah. Go to Hot Topic. Go to GameStop. What do they got here at Hastings? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I miss Hastings, but it's glad. I'm oh, kind of glad they're gone also because they really fed that addiction. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's. I realized then that I had that problem. I didn't really realize that I had it before then. But looking back, I can tell that's kind of been one of the things that I've had. It might not have been my biggest addiction, but it was one that I fell back on uh, more than a healthy amount of times. Yeah. Uh, and I had to deal with that. And, uh, I think I've successfully gotten that. My wife and I have an agreement now that I'm really only allowed to purchase one type of Funko pop without her permission. 
and that is if it's related to the Green Lantern section, my favorite collection. If a new one of those comes out, I'm allowed to buy it. But other than that, I have to talk to her first. But what if it's a thousand dollars? Oh, they don't. They don't come out at that price. I'm just saying. (laughs) Not allowed to buy from someone else's collection from way back when. There is a Green Lantern Funko Pop, but that is a thousand five hundred ninety-nine dollars right now because it's the second one that was ever made, and it is glow in the dark, full green Hal Jordan Green Lantern. It didn't even come in the box that you typically see anymore. It came in like this plastic kind of clamshell looking thing because that was the original. They weren't even called Funko Pops. They were called Funko Force 2.0 back then. My gosh. <laughs> like it's it's so much money. It might even be more now. That's just how much I remember it being when I last looked at it three years ago. Like I want it so bad and I really want them to just do a re-release of it so I can have it. But uh, <laughs> and full honesty. More than once, I hovered at an eBay site, thinking to myself, I could get away with buying this. Put it on the credit card, pay it off over the next few months, Adrian will never know. Yeah. And that's a terrible mindset Mm -hmm. to be in. Yep. So, yeah, gray area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, Another one, birth control. Oh, yeah. Big one. Huge. Big one. Um, I feel like this is, especially when we come to certain types of birth control, this is one of those things where Christians kind of have a tunnel vision mindset of black and white, good, bad. Now I know Catholics for the most part are fully against birth control of any kind because they think that that is messing with God's plan for your family and people coming into existence. So no... No birth control pills, no condoms, no anything like that. If you're going to have a baby, you're going to have a baby. That's the kind of thing. I don't think all Catholics subscribe to that anymore, but I think the, at least the general ter- church standing is still that, uh, which is also why Hobby Lobby is always getting heat because they're a Catholic-owned. Oh, I didn't know they were Catholic. Yeah. Um, I will so... never shop that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am only kidding. That's life. Hobby Lobby is life. Um, yeah, Hobby Lobby is life when you live in Clovis, New Mexico. <laughs> it's your only life. Yes. Uh, but the other thing is the like the morning after pill. Mm-hmm. Okay. That I learned, I was educated on, is not really what we consider it to be. The way I've always heard it presented in churches is, in, in Christian culture, is that it's essentially the first form of abortion. Like you are, you are taking out a new life where the two strands of DNA have formed a new strand of DNA, a new life, a new existence, and this pill kills it. And that's not actually what it does at all because fertilization doesn't happen until about 24 hours after conception. And so there is that window of time before those two strands come together. And what that morning after pill does is it basically stops the egg from coming to meet up with the sperm. Like the egg doesn't arrive at all. And so that mixing, that blending of the two DNA strands never even happens, never even occurs. So there is no new life that is being aborted. It's it's more just like a last-minute wall, last-minute barrier that's put up between the two strands of DNA. Have you ever heard that before? 
Um, no. I have never heard that before. And I am curious how long, how far after intercourse you can take the morning after pill. Right. And, and you know, it's called the morning after pill for a reason. You want to take it within the morning. And I said that it takes 24 hours for fertilization, but sometimes it can take several more days. It really depends on your kind of ovulation window. But what the pill will do is stop the ovulation from happening. It's not poison. You're not injecting any kind of, you know, poisonous thing that will kill a already fertilized egg. So if that's already happened, like if you if you didn't take it that next day, the 24 hours has passed and you happen to be ovulating then and it's fertilized and everything's happened and you still take the pill after it, it's not going to abort what happened. It's not going to change it. The baby, uh, the new life is not going anywhere because the ovulation already occurred. And that's the only thing the pill can do is stop ovulation. It can't kill a new life that's already been made. It's not an abortion pill. And I've honestly heard a very large argument opposing that from Christian culture that, you know, uh, fertilization begins with conception and that once the act has happened and there's time for sperm to meet egg, but I guess truthfully that is accurate. It's just leaving out the time window of the process for it to happen. Right. It's still, it does take time for fertilization to happen for the two strands of DNA to create new life, which is what Christians typically think of as the actual start of a new life when there is a new strand of DNA. Mm-hmm. No, it makes perfect sense. It, it truly does. It's just one of those things that never had to think about. Right. I've never had to process. I've never actually sat down even after three kids and thought, oh, okay, it's going to take fertilization time. Duh. Right. And so if, if, if that pill stops the egg from producing or whatever, it, it basically puts up a wall between the two strands of DNA intertwining. Is that sinful? Again, it's going to go right back to what we have said with everything, yeah, everything. And truthfully, it's biblical. It's a matter of the heart, mm-hmm. you know? And I, and I can see the argument that it's still messing with biology. It's still messing with the plan that God had in place. Absolutely. And that's kind of back to the Catholic uh, idea of just no birth control at all. But that's the gray area. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, it is a gray area. I do think that... We, we know 100% that God has a plan for everybody. Yeah. He has a plan and a purpose for each one. He set us apart. We know that that's in his word. However, he also tells us repeatedly to use wisdom, mm-hmm. you know, and I truly believe that for most medical advancements, God would consider that wisdom. Yeah. In most cases, you know, um, it would not be wise 
for a newly married couple who are very young and aren't necessarily settled financially or within a career, you know, to jump right into having child after child after child after child without concern for the future. Right. You know, that would not be wise. So in that regard, I think that birth control to some degree, however that's going to look, whether that that doesn't have to be a pill. Let's say birth control, the two words for what they are, even if that is family planning, you know, if you just follow your ovulation cycles and be careful with that term, (laughs) family planning is what is typically a dog whistle for abortion. You're right. (laughs) Which I find no gray area in. Well, very little minute gray area in a very specific circumstance, but we don't need to talk about that. (laughs) There's so many topics that we should or could, but don't need to right now. Um, That one can be its whole show on its own. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So even if it's just calculating your ovulation cycle and, you know, being very cautious and careful with your sex life mm-hmm. as a husband and wife, then that is controlled birth. Yeah. That's birth control. Yeah. You know, that would be being wise as a couple. You truly have to be on the same page as to what your conviction is mm-hmm. and what you believe God's plan for your family is and what that looks like. As far as the morning after pill, Sure. I'm sure there's some situations where a husband and wife, it would be beneficial for a wife. It would be needed. It would be necessary. Yeah. But as a whole, the majority, you think morning after pill and you think an irresponsible teenage girl. Mistakes, mm -hmm, things of that nature. Who, yeah. If it's a, like a a habitual usage, right? (laughs) then there's definitely a problem there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so again, that's why I'm thankful that God knows our heart. He knows the intent of our heart. And that's what he judges us based off of, not what the world judges us based (laughs) off of. Um, So we could get into a whole lot more of these. um, But I think the, the main issue is just the fact that there are a lot of actual gray areas. There's a lot of of situations where we think it's a straight black and white thing, but then there are these qualifying questions that pop up that make things a little bit more difficult to discern. Uh, There is a practice on what to do with gray areas, and that's ask yourself a set of questions about something you're thinking of doing. First up, will it benefit me spiritually? Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. And so this is saying, you know, we've been freed from the law from the Old Testament. We are allowed to do pretty much anything that's not explicitly forbidden at this point. Mm -hmm. But not all things are going to be good for you. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there are certain things that for you will be sinful, Mm -hmm. that will not edify you, will not profit you, and will not honor God. And so you have to be more cognizant of who you are as a person and 
that might mean you make a mistake and you choose to do something that is not going to be uh, benefiting you spiritually. But you should have the idea that, well, if you realize that, never again. Right. We won't be doing that. <laughs> but I mean, God expects us, not expects us, but knows that we're going to screw this stuff up. Even when it comes to the first thing we talked about, like, you know, sexual relationships before marriage. That's in the Bible. It's like, look, if you can't stop yourself, then just get married. <laughs> you know, it's it's not saying if you can't stop yourself, well, then yeah. go, go die in a ditch. Yeah, burn in hell for terrible yeah. human. It's yeah. saying just get married so it's not a sin anymore. Mm-hmm. That way Make you can keep right. doing it and you're in line with God's plan at that point. You know, it's essentially a, a just come on already. <laughs> Make it easy on yourself. The next question, will it bring bondage? Uh, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will be not, not be mastered by anything. That's first Corinthians six twelve. So that's what we were talking about. Is this going to become an addictive thing for me? Do I have a, a blind spot here to the fact that if I do this, I will do it more and more to the point where it becomes a God in my life or an idol in my life, a place that I run to instead of God. That's bondage. You can't serve two masters, that whole thing. Will it defile God's temple? Uh, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Pretty much anything that brings harm to your body or brings shame to your body is not glorifying God's temple right. within you. But again, it's not just like a straight master list of... These things are good and these things are bad. It's got to be tailored to you. Will it cause anyone to stumble? That's what we brought that up as well. Uh, Food will not commend us to God. Uh, We are neither the worse if we do not eat nor the better if we do eat. But take care lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Mm -hmm. First Corinthians 8, 8 through 9. Uh, Will it further the cause of evangelism? First uh, Corinthians ten thirty two through thirty three. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the Church or of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So, is your use or or practice of this going to turn people away from God? Is essentially the question. I think that's maybe the one of the hardest ones to discern or maybe the hardest ones to listen to ask Mm -hmm. ourselves, be willing to ask ourselves. (laughs) And I think that might be the one I'm struggling with most when it comes to like, well, marijuana in our first topic. And a Mm -hmm. lot of these topics is, you know, if, and that's why we talked about, you know, whether it's an open thing or a private thing, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if, you know, Someone's openly saying, oh, I recreationally use marijuana, but not enough to be fully intoxicated or legally intoxicated or anything. That still could be a big deterrent from someone who's like, well, they're no better than us. Mm-hmm. They're doing everything that we're doing. You know, that, that's, that's that kind of mindset. And so it takes a deep look into how you're doing this and how it will affect the world around you. Uh, 
Will it violate my conscience? Romans 14, 23. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. So this is kind of what we were talking about when it comes to food or vegetarianism or stuff like that. Like if, if you fully believe that it's wrong to eat meat spiritually, religiously, but then you eat meat, that's a sin for you mm -hmm. because you are now going against what you believe is going against God. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and then will it bring glory to God? First Corinthians ten thirty one. therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So this is a very clear verse that's saying that pretty much every single thing that we do, even something as small as eating and drinking our meals needs to glorify God in some manner. It <laughs> needs to not defile our relationship with God. And all these questions are difficult ones. And I honestly think if we looked at all these questions for every single thing that we did, we probably wouldn't be doing much. Exactly. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going against it. I'm just saying we're not ever going to be perfect and we're not ever going to get this right. And we're also kind of products of our time. It is more and more difficult to be able to do everything right as the world around us has been shifting and changing. Mm -hmm. We also have uh, sometimes a calling to put ourselves in situations that might not be beneficial for us when it comes to trying to be in the world and not of it, but to be all things to all people, to minister to people that are on the wrong side of a certain line also puts you in danger because mm -hmm. you have to go to those places that are on the other side of the line. Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean you have to fall into the same mistakes, but it does put you in that position where you could. Right. It's difficult. <sighs> I do think there are quite a few things in this world that we can do that while they're not uh, like sp spiritually building, they're also not spiritually destroying neutral things, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know, in instance, play on your phone in the bathroom. <laughs> I, I don't, depending on what you're, I mean, playing a, playing a harmless game on your phone in the bathroom. There we go. That's not spiritually edifying. It's also not spiritually destructive. Mm -hmm. What are you supposed to be praying while you're on the toilet? I'm sure you could pray everywhere, pray always, but I mean, every single time you're on the toilet. <laughs> Right. Like how, how is that realistic in any fashion? <laughs> However, if your phone or this game or whatever it is has become an idol mm -hmm. and you're, you're on finding there for yourself, an hour, exactly, you were done 10 minutes in, you're finding yourself <laughs> retreating to the bathroom to get away, right? You're essentially using your phone in the bathroom. I love that you built the scenario around it. <laughs> Listen, you're essentially using your phone in the bathroom in the same way that, you know, an alcoholic uses alcohol mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. They're an trying escape. to su yep, suppress a feeling and escape from reality yeah. to feel something that's not realistic. Right. And on the complete opposite end, you could be completely frustrated and angry and you feel like you're going to lose it at somebody for no reason 
and you need to be able to calm yourself down. You know that you don't have the, the, uh, right mindset to like go and like pray or listen to worship music because you're not going to be able to get out of that. So you need to distract yourself enough to calm down so you can get to that mindset and you go to the bathroom and you play on your phone for a little bit, let out some of the stress, and then you can be a little bit more open to hearing God's voice. What a silly, silly scenario we just created. Hold on. But it's real. It's 100% real. Absolutely. As you were reading the list, I kept kind of coming around to one like end result, one conclusion that plays right into these two very silly real <laughs> er, scenarios that we came up with. But it's something that we've continually said. Every person is going to be different. So you're asking the same questions, but depending on your heart, depending on your convictions, depending on your struggles, it can be exactly the same thing. You can be asking yourself the same questions about the same usage of whatever as your brother, but you have two different responses. I'm actually going to backtrack on something that I said. I said, I don't think I said, I think there are neutral things. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I don't think that because just thinking about this, the most neutral way I can think of using the phone in the bathroom is going in there using the bathroom and saying, I'd like to play a game right now and having fun. That's spiritually edifying. <laughs> that is adding a minute amount of joy to your life and it builds your, your, uh, ability to spread joy outwardly from that situation in the sure. bathroom <laughs> with your phone. <laughs> I guess everything does have just a, a little bit of good or bad. <laughs> Matt, I have been saying for at least the last 10 years and it's uh, something it, this is like a beat my head against the wall thing for me. Yeah. When people say that there are some things that are black and white to me, almost everything has gray area has at least a tiny shred of gray. Mm -hmm. It truthfully does. When we consider our brother, <clears throat> when we consider that every decision, every choice, everything that we do or say or act on could possibly potentially cause a reaction in someone else's life for good or bad without us even knowing it, it's unintentional, but it could begin a domino effect. There's a lot of gray, a whole heck of a lot of gray. Dang it. Okay. So since you brought that up, I'm going to cycle back to my abortion thing because that I think for most people would be an example of, Oh, definitely black and white. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make a case for one sliver of gray. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, in cases of like rape or incest or anything like that, because I really feel like those children can still be redeemed, that life can still be redeemed. I've met uh, two couples who the wife had been raped and had the child and they were raising the child mm. and it was something that God blessed and grew into something great for both of them. Mm -hmm. uh, God can redeem all those situations. There is one, though, one incredibly specific scenario where I think it is justified. And that is 
when the life of the mother is at stake and the mother is not able to make the choice herself. As a husband, the Bible lays it out that my first, uh, my first responsibility mm -hmm. is to my wife and my next responsibility is to my children. My, pa my former pastor put it this way because he believes the same thing. If both my wife and my child were hanging off a cliff unconscious and their ropes were about to snap, it's my duty to save my wife and then to save my children. Even though our, our mindset thinks, well, the children are weaker, well, it's not about their strength. They're both hanging by a rope. It's both, they're both ropes are failing at the exact same speed. It's my responsibility to save my wife first and then to save my children because my first priority is to my wife. My protection is supposed to go towards her. If she can't make the call out of save them first, making her decision, then it is my responsibility to save her myself. So if there's a situation where the doctor comes out and says, one of them is going to die, we have to make the decision. She is unconscious. She can't make the decision. You have to make the decision. I think the biblical case is made that I would have to save my wife. Even though you can make the case that, well, yes, she's already lived quite a life and this has taken away a life. I agree. I agree that that is part of that gray area, but I believe the Bible lays out the case that it is my responsibility to save my wife first. I'm not saying that'd be an easy thing right. in any stretch of the imagination, right? but I think the Bible is at least clear on that, that in that one extremely rare, extremely difficult situation, that would be my responsibility, regardless of the consequences mm -hmm. that might mean to my wife, I made the wrong choice and that could end a marriage mm -hmm. at that point. But I would feel justified in that I did what I was supposed to do. Right. Now, I'm not saying if I was met with that situation, I'd have the strength to even decide. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'd really act in that situation. But I do believe if there's a chance to save my wife and I had to be the one to make that decision, that's the decision I should biblically make. Mm -hmm. Plenty of plenty of gray area, plenty of ways that people can argue against it. And I understand, and I'm not hateful towards you if you disagree with me uh, in that area. But that's, that's a conclusion that God has put on my heart should that situation arise. And he has never dissuaded me of that conclusion. Mm -hmm. And so until... I am dissuaded of that. <laughs> I, I believe that would be what I would have to do. Right. And so I think even with that question in the air, even if, even if you don't believe that that's the case, if you're, and I'm sure that's most people, <laughs> even if you don't believe that's the case, even the fact that that question is there is proof that there is still gray area, even in things that look the most black and white to believers. Mm -hmm. And so you do have to examine pretty much everything mm -hmm. in your life as best as you can to the best of your ability, as often as you can to the best of your ability, knowing that we're not going to be perfect. 
and knowing that we're going to get it wrong a lot mm -hmm. and knowing that God is a forgiving God and a loving God. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Do you have anything else to add? Oh, so much, but... <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's close this one out because we still have another one. Yeah. Now, in our first two discussions, we've discussed gray areas that are more of a personal nature, things that we have a choice to do ourselves. But what about gray areas in the world around us and how we react to them? When and how do we change with the times? Stick around. been around another person that used a word or phrase that you were absolutely certain you should know but you didn't of course you have well don't worry nerd because we've got some great news for you you're about to learn something brand new this is the real world bub and you need to learn to hold your own in a nerdy conversation so pull up an ear and pay attention because ltn has another nerdy definition for you today's terms are otaku reactions kawaii baka and kimoi these Japanese words are often heard in Japanese media and are often common otaku words as well, even if you don't speak the language. Kawaii means cute or adorable. Baka means stupid. And kimoi means gross. So, next time you pass a group of otaku at a convention, you'll be able to tell if they're complimenting you or insulting you. Because now, you understand that reference. This week in nerd history, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Nerd history. The final line of Linus's explanation of the true meaning of Christmas rings true and hits harder than any other Christmas special ever has, which is probably why it has aired nearly every year since its first airing on December 9th, 1965. Linus's speech is largely just him telling the biblical account of Jesus' birth, but there is an Easter egg for those with a keen eye. Linus, clutching his security blanket that he can never function without, begins to recite the story, but when he gets to the part and the angel said, fear not, Linus subtly drops his blanket, almost totally out of frame, and you likely won't notice unless you're looking for it. The message of Jesus bringing an end to fear is made clear with Linus dropping his blanket for the rest of the retelling of the story. It's a wonderful object lesson paired with a powerful passage. We encourage you to keep a Charlie Brown Christmas as a yearly tradition in your home. Of all the Christmas specials, this one is still the best. I'm Radio Matt. See you next time for more Nerd History. Welcome back to the Back Row Morning Show. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. There's a lot going on in our Discord, backrowdiscord.com, where you get to chat after the show, share your own show ideas, keep up to date with our Twitch and YouTube, be a part of our radio show, and also see the behind-the-scenes workings of Back Row Games, including Sunday School Answers. Again, go to backrowdiscord.com to join. This week, we're talking about gray areas, situations where the Bible may not be clear on... Uh, sorry, clear that on an answer time. or situations where our reaction is important to scrutinize. We've mainly focused on things we ourselves could do, but now we're going to take a look at things other people do and how we as believers should respond. So I want to start with a, a, a story that my pastor actually told this past Sunday, which uh, gave me a lot of love thy nerd vibes, which I liked. <laughs> uh, he told the story about how him and his wife were, um, they were on, they were heading to a conference, a pastor's conference or something somewhere. And 
in the same convention hall, there was a Comic-Con going on, a small Comic-Con. And they were outside, and it was the very first time my pastor ever saw cosplayers. People dressed up in their elaborate video game character, you know, costumes Mm -hmm. or whatever else, anime, whatever. And he looked over there and said, and he asked his wife, what the heck are those? (laughs) (laughs) And she happened to know uh, from, you know, her teaching job or whatever, like she knew of a couple people that did this. You know, oh, right. that's that's a cosplay. That's, they, they dress up as their characters and sometimes they act out, you know, things, but they typically go to, you know, comic conventions and stuff. And it's just, you know, it's elaborate dress up, you know, essentially. And my pastor found it so fascinating. And he said, the thing that I regretted most about that moment was that I did not have the time to go sit down and talk with them about what they're doing. Not in a way that I'm going to like, this is weird and and you should stop it. Right. <laughs> God doesn't like this. But like actually learning about how they got involved in doing this and why they wanted to do this. And it turned his kind of perception around of, uh, because, oh, I'm sorry, I left out a key thing. Uh, his wife said, you know, they're good kids. They just, you know, they don't, not like that. They just do this. You know, they're good kids. They just, they do this. It's fun. It's, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, something they do for fun. And I, th- I think that that really inspired me hearing him say that because I'd never really had a conversation beyond the, the superficial conversation about what I do with Love Thy Nerd mm-hmm. with him. Uh, not for any purposeful reason. It's just never really dive deep into it. Right. But that mindset 10, 20, 30 years ago, not very common in the church. Mm-hmm. Anybody... I think the biggest boogeyman back then was D and D Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. You still find, I still find chick tracks that people cowardly leave <laughs> in random public places talking about how Dungeons and Dragons is going to send you to hell. Yeah. How, how <laughs> it's a game. It's not Satan worship. It's a game about dragons slaying dragons. How is that sending you to hell? If anything, it's an allegory for killing the devil. (laughs) But that mindset back then was anything that was off the normal path, the normal Christian path that uh, wasn't done in the church or under the guise of the church would eventually lead you to hell. Mm -hmm. And that is a mindset that I think we're still kind of struggling to get out of. Absolutely. Now we talked about tattoos again. We brought that up uh, in a previous one of these, I don't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday's Mm. show, but like I said, nowadays I know more believers that have tattoos than I know unbelievers. Yeah. I know more believers that have tattoos than I know believers that don't have tattoos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, it's becoming such a, a common thing. But again, 10, 20 years ago, you kind of, if, even if you got a Jesus fish, you kind of covered it up. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a, it still had that stigma around it that you would be judged for. Mm-hmm. Uh, people coming to the church dressed as skaters, punks or whatever, back in the nineties and the early two thousands, Made everybody uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, uh, I very briefly got into dressing like a skater, even though I couldn't skate. Uh, but I remember I would come to church in those big old baggy black, 
not Jinko jeans, but the ones that had basically the same kind of mm-hmm. girth to them with unnecessary straps and zippers all over it and big dog ball chain necklaces and mm-hmm. spiky hair. Your wallet chain. Wallet chain, all that kind of stuff. And I and that was a big departure from what I started coming to the church in in my normal preppy clothes. And I remember getting quite a few looks and quite a few stares from people in the church that had known me for years. Right. But all of a sudden, what's going on with him? Mm-hmm. What is he getting into? I'm worried about his soul mm-hmm. kind of thing, which, you know, they were right to worry about it, but not for that reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that had nothing to do with my internal <laughs> processes. It was like, hey, this is cool. I'm going to dress like this now. Um, and... Now, it is more common to see at least a couple people on a Sunday morning dressed like that. Yeah. And it's not weird. People don't treat them weird. For the most part. For the most part. (laughs) Um, So, we've also seen um, casual drinking. Mm Mm-hmm. Become kind of more and more accepted, especially among our reformed brother brethren. They're poof, they're all about that casual drinking. Uh, <laughs> but then we get to situations where it's not just about the the look of the person. It's not just about the the kind of outward appearance that we don't really know the inner appearance of. But we get to situations where there are people who are actively living in what we know biblically to be sin Mm -hmm. that want to come and be almost affirmed in that sin. Okay. Yeah. The first thing that I would think of would be people who are living openly in a relationship considered sinful, such as living together while unmarried. Mm -hmm. We, we, we know that we consider that sinful because that implies Sexually active before marriage, right? Which is something that the Bible completely condemns and says, "Look, if you can't stop doing it, just get married." So you're not living in sin, right? That's what the phrase "living in sin" means. But it is also more and more common these days that relationships start like that. We kind of started getting it backwards uh, in the seventies, sixties, seventies, eighties. Started flipping from you get married and you grow together in a sexual manner to, well, you need to make sure you're sexually compatible. Right. And you're like, well, you would be if you started together Mm -hmm. because you'd grow together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But everybody started having premarital, uh, well, I guess more openly, I'm sure they always did, but (laughs) people started more openly having third date intercourse. That became the thing. Yeah. On your third date, well, that's when you try this out and see if you're compatible. Because you don't want to, you don't need a fourth if you're not, right? And that's a sad mindset, but that's the way most people live, even Christians. And so, if we're in a church, especially a church that's like, you know full of families and stuff, and there's a couple who's openly living together, openly having, you know. Like, it's clear that they're a couple. It's clear that they're living like a married couple while not being married. Mm -hmm. But they want to be active in the church. They want to be leaders. They want to be small group leaders. They want to 
be on the worship team. What do we do? How far do we, how far do we go in affirming them as active uh, members of the church when we know they're openly and even intentionally living in a sinful situation? I, uh, <laughs> I know the answer. Okay. I'm ready. I said that very confidently. I know the answer. <laughs> it worries me that it's something that so many people question. And we've talked about this in the past, but do we shun someone who's living in sin, whether openly or not from the church? Heck no. Right. No, absolutely not. We no. You do not shun someone who is whose sin we can clearly see. Because if you're going to sh shun someone whose sin we can clearly see, that was hard to say. <laughs> you're going to shun um, someone yeah. who shun we can clearly. Yeah. Then I certainly hope you're going to turn around and walk out the door yourself because you also have sin in your life, whether clear or not, whether obvious to the outsider or not, the truth remains. Yeah. You're sinful. Now, it's a process of, do we open up opportunities for someone who is living in sin, acknowledges that it's a sin and chooses to continue to live in that sin? Do we open up opportunities for that person to be a leader in some regard. No. Yeah. I don't think we can. Absolutely not. Biblically laid out. Right. Um, what leadership in the church is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. So in both regards, obviously keeping our doors open to everyone. Um, and then allowing them to serve in a leadership role, both scenarios, both actions affirm something. The difference is allowing someone who is living in sin very boldly, very openly living in sin to serve in a leadership role that affirms that sin that affirms their choice. Mm -hmm. Keeping our doors open affirms our love for them. And God's love. Mm -hmm. It affirms that you are welcome in God's kingdom, that he wants you to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people forget that, you know, Jesus said, come as you are. Mm -hmm. We all started off rough. Yeah. But the point behind that is that we're not supposed to come to church exactly as we are and then remain and then exactly yeah. as we are. Absolutely. The whole purpose of a relationship with God becoming saved, we then transform. Mm -hmm. We become more like him and less like ourselves as our relationship with him grows. Mm -hmm. So... Give it two years. Is that couple still living together? 
you know, they came to church in a sinful situation, very openly. Everybody knew it. But two years later, that couple is no longer living together. They're not even a couple anymore. Let's say one has actually gotten married. Do we then allow them to serve in a leadership role? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Things aren't black and white. There are areas where we have to sit down and go, okay, let's figure this out. Right. There has to be areas for, there has to be room for growth. Mm -hmm. And that's how it is for all of us. Um, and unfortunately it's the, the sins that are sexual in nature that get all of the focus. Right. Whether that be living in sin, pre-marriage, whether it be, uh, uh, I mean, I hate to say this, but it is still an issue. Single mothers are often treated pretty poorly yeah. in churches. Uh, women that have had abortions, if that information is out, sometimes treated pretty darn poorly. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, the, the topic du jour uh, of most Christians with this discussion is uh, homosexual couples. Mm -hmm. That's a really difficult problem, and it's a new one for a lot of churches. Homosexuality has been around for forever, but it has only been in the last couple decades that it's become more and more commonplace that there are people who still consider themselves Christians, and I, I still fully believe they could be, no problem, but are actively still living in a homosexual lifestyle mm -hmm. with no call to change mm -hmm. that they can discern. Mm-hmm. And some churches take that way too far in one direction where they're like, yeah, we'll affirm it all and, and uh, we won't even mention it as a problem ever again. And even our pastor is a, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, 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 that's a, that's a rough area mm -hmm. for a church to get into a, a difficult road to get down and almost impossible to get back from. But at the same time, most churches take it too far in the other direction. We don't want them in the door. Mm -hmm. And that's worse, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Uh, one of the stories that I think I've told on this podcast quite a few times is uh, when we were when I was first running CR, mm -hmm. like it was the first year that it was handed over to, to you and me. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a pastor at the time. And one of our deacons mm, mm -hmm. was asked by a group of churches in the area if we wanted to put our name and logo on this big full page ad they were putting in the paper saying that we stand against uh, gay marriage. And without talking to anybody, he said, yeah, absolutely. And so... That Sunday, big full page ad in the Sunday paper with my church's name on it, taking a stand against an entire community of people mm -hmm. who need God. I understand 
that the church itself can have the ideal that it's against gay marriage. I get that. Marriage is a Christian institution. I agree with that. But it's also a reality here. It also exists. And these people are real people. And these people are real people who need a real God, a real Savior, real Jesus. And if we as a church are going to openly, openly stand against them, because that's how they're going to take it. They're not going to take it as I'm against this policy. They're going to take it as I'm against this community. Mm -hmm. What are the chances we're ever going to see them come to our church? Especially as Celebrate Recovery, which I've met a handful of people who were living a homosexual lifestyle and wanted to be freed from it and Mm -hmm. came to Celebrate Recovery to find that freedom. And I don't know how that wound up for all of them because I wasn't through, I wasn't, you know, with them for the whole journey, but I know for at least two of them, they found freedom. Now, it didn't mean that that changed them uh, and their attractions and their, you know, what they knew uh, about themselves, but it did change their practices and their focus in life. It didn't just boom, they're straight now and they got married and they had two kids. It wasn't like that, but it was a change in their heart to be like, um, I am going to remain single as to not live in a sinful lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And that is an incredibly sacrificial and inspiring choice to make. And we're throwing that possibility away just to put our name and logo on a thing that basically spits in their face for no reason. Right. I was livid when that happened. Livid. And who knows what kind of effect that had on the people of this community. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to the list that you read last segment. You know, the the things that we need to ask ourselves. Mm -hmm. And... That is one of those things that very easily, very easily could turn people away from God. Mm -hmm. You know, they Mm -hmm. see, they see their name. They see several churches names on an ad that directly speaks against them. You know, yeah, you already feel defensive. Mm -hmm. You already feel attacked. Now you get to pinpoint it and say, well, this group of people who believe in this God hate me. Yeah, I'm never going to I'm never going to step foot in a church like that. I'm never going to associate myself with them. Right. Okay. That. What a huge, huge wedge to put between the church and that person mm-hmm. or that group of people. And the question always comes up, you know, as I mean, it always did come up. Can you be like a homosexual and a Christian at the same time? While I feel like you might be missing a point here or there, I still believe that. Yes, you absolutely can. You want to know Why? Because I'm a Christian and a glutton at the same time. 
I struggle with food all the time. And most of the time, I'm not even trying to fight it. But sexual sin gets put up on this next level of importance in our minds because we consider it icky Mm -hmm. as Christians. And that's the bottom line. Like we said in the other segments, God wasn't really all that freaked out about sexual sin. He's like, look, if you're going to keep doing this, if you're going to keep having sex before marriage, get married. He knows this stuff's going to happen. Now, homosexuality, yes, that's an abomination to God. So is gluttony. So is gossip. So is all these other terrible sins that we do all the time without a second thought. Why are we singling out these couple things as the big deal breakers? We're all going to get to heaven with a miles-long list of sins. Is that going to disqualify us from salvation? Could it? No. Of course not. God knows our heart. God knows we're going to sin. God knows we're going to be imperfect beings. That's why he had to send Jesus in the first place. That's why our sins were nailed to that cross. That's why God went to hell and stole the keys. We as a church, and I I honestly think a lot of this stems from our American sense of politics and us versus them, conservative versus liberal, yada, yada, yada. We have such an us versus them mentality that we are scared to open the doors to them Mm -hmm. for fear of what? That they're going to corrupt us? When we need to be loving to them? And that is the most important thing. Faith, hope, love, greatest of these is love. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? Why do you think the greatest is love? Why do you think the Bible goes out of its way to point that out? Faith, hope, love, all amazing things. Faith is something that the Bible says you desperately need. Yet it says love is the greatest of these. Why do you think that is? Because you're not going to get to the other two without it. Love is the bridge. Love is the drawing in. Love is the open arm, the welcoming, the here is your hope, which will lead you to this new found faith. Without love, everything that we say And do is noise. It's nothing. It's garbage. It's pointless. Mm -hmm. God is love. We brush that off like it means nothing today. But it is everything. But we're comfortable. We're comfortable doing what we want and hanging out with only the people that make us comfortable. I'm guilty of it too. We all are. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be uncomfortable, especially in our churches. But we're called to have those doors open. And yeah, 
there's going to be gray areas and there's going to be hard discussions and there's going to be situations where feelings are going to get hurt or it's not going to be a right fit or those people might come in and actually cause problems. That's a risk you got to take. We're going to brush off anybody that could possibly walk in these doors because we don't want to possibly have an uncomfortable conversation. I'm on my soapbox again, Mo. <laughs> I'm, I'm letting you. I think what we have to realize and what we have to be honest with ourselves about is that when we close the doors on certain people or when we allow our fear or our worry or our concern of what those people may bring into our church, we're limiting God. We're limiting the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. We're saying don't bother with these. We are essentially being open and honest about the fact that we think God can forgive us of our sins, but he can't forgive them. Mm -hmm. We are being open and honest. You might as well just say the Holy spirit can work in my life. He can change me. He can make my mess into a message, but they're too far gone. The door just needs to be shut on them. We're drawing the conclusions that these people already have hearts that are too far hardened. So God can't soften them. Because they're, they're too deep in whatever sin or whatever community they're a part of. Did you never feel too deep in a sin or an addiction or in a problem in your life before or after Christ coming into it? Some of my worst sins came after coming to Christ because I was still a messed up person. Thank God I had people that didn't give up on me. Well, and I would argue that out of those two people, the person whose heart is truly hardened is the one who is willing to walk away from a potential brother or sister. That's the person whose heart is truly hardened. Someone who can look at another person who Jesus died for just as much as you and say, you're not worth it. Yeah. Is it? that you want to protect your little club or is it that you want to do church? Cause church is much bigger than what we make it out to be. It's not the building. It's not the, uh, mission statement. It's not whatever list of morality that you have concocted or, or built up as to what's okay and what's not inside these walls. The church is the people. The church is the heart of this faith. If we abandon what the church is supposed to be to protect our little club, we're not a church. Mm -hmm. We're a social group. Mm -hmm. We're a bowling league. Well, and let's not forget that to go and make disciples, that requires us to go. Mm -hmm. That requires new people to come in. That requires growth. Once you feel complacent with your 
social gathering, your social circle, you're no longer making disciples. Mm -hmm. If, uh, and this, this, I'm guilty of this. If you feel like you've done your missional duty of going out and making disciples because you give $10 to Lottie Moon every Christmas, <laughs> that's missions by proxy. Is that what you're doing? That's not enough. You personally, actively need to go out and make disciples. You actively, personally need to go out of your way to show love, show not just love, but God's love to people in desperate need of it. There's so many ways you can do that. And none of them involve pointing a finger. Mm. So yeah, there are gray areas. There are gray areas and, and it's going to be difficult. And there are going to be times when you don't know what to do either personally or as a church. But again, that's something we are called to deal with for the sake of the lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Um, I will end by saying, I think it's really easy to get into this rut, this mindset as Christians, there comes a time where we feel like the world is against us. And so we want to be against them. We mm. want to push back. We want to show them, no, we're not the ones that are in the wrong. You're the ones that are in the wrong. That's not how love works. Right. On top of that, it then creates this religion mentality of where we're doing everything right we're checking off all the boxes. We're giving the $10 to Lottie Moon to make sure that we're doing our part in missions, mm -hmm. you know. Straight up, no frills, legalism. Exactly. <laughs> we're no longer having a relationship with Jesus because the, when we have a relationship, then that the Holy Spirit works in our heart. Mm -hmm. And when we do find ourselves becoming a little bit religious, a little bit cynical, a little bit agitated and annoyed, that's when the Holy Spirit comes in and says, you know what? Mm, let me remind you of who you once were. Mm -hmm. Let me point you towards grace so mm -hmm. you can point others in that same direction. Really, when you think about anybody else who you deem to be unworthy or below you as spiritually or as a person or anything like that. Your best frame of mind should be to put yourself back into your worst day that mm -hmm. you can remember. Your worst, most failure-induced, rock-bottom day mm -hmm. before you judge anybody else from that manner. Now, I'm not a fan of people saying judge not and using it out of context. But even in context, it's saying you're going to be judged in the same way that mm -hmm. you judge other people. And so if you are unfairly judging somebody who doesn't have your morality because they don't know Jesus, imagine if someone did that to you and turned you off of ever coming to Christ because they didn't want to have a difficult conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, gray areas abound. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it with our week of looking at the gray areas in our lives. Hopefully, some of our discussion this week answered some questions for you. But we'll, we'll bet that some brought up more questions as well. We would love to know what you think about these gray areas. Join our Discord at backrowdiscord.com and chat with us in our respond to show section. We're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we'll bring it all full circle with a Twitter poll about marijuana, and we'll share some things that we love. Stick around. Hey, everyone. I'm Hector Mirai, and this is Faith and Fandom 180. LTN radio. So this morning, one of my best friends and I went golfing. We were going to walk the golf course and play and just have some good time in nature and talk and fellowship, do all that stuff. And somewhere around like the eighth hole, you know, we're, we've talked about life and marriage and church and ministry and everything else, but somewhere like about halfway through, um, we're teeing up and he says to me in a very serious voice, Man, Ahsoka really is the most important piece of Star Wars. And I literally just kind of held my ball for a second and like, what did you just say? Because my best friend is pretty much a muggle. Like, he's an athletic trainer and he's a man's man and he's like a he has his own side carpentry business and does crossfit and you know all that stuff so he's, he's not exactly down with the nerdness and you know i had like serious conversations just ranting about you know how great ahsoka was and how important clone wars is and rebels and everything else and somewhere over the course of the last four months this dude watched all of clone wars all of rebels and all of bad batch and as we were golfing this morning he's like man ahsoka is just so important i don't understand how you can even remotely begin to appreciate the original trilogy without the prequels or without you know the animated series and i just kind of looked at him and it cracked me up because i shared my <laughs> very passionate beliefs that I got, you know, towards this, and I had no idea he actually listened. And Romans 10, 14 says, how then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And the reality is, my friend heard me talk about what I thought about Star Wars, and I didn't know he actually listened, but he did. And I just want to encourage you, don't shy away from actually sharing about Jesus because people are listening whether you know it right then or not. So keep talking. Remember to catch Faith and Fandom 180 every Wednesday morning on the Back Row Morning Show only on LTN Radio. And if you'd like to learn more about Faith and Fandom, head over to faithandfandom.org where you can learn about our Comic-Con ministry, podcasts, memes, apparel, and book series. You can even read new chapters before they make it to the next book. I'm Hector Mirai, and thank you for spending the last 180 seconds with me. Hey 
everybody, I'm Radio Matt, and this is Reviews of the Nerds. Today I'm reviewing the CW series 4400. 4400 is a story about 4,400 people who were abducted from different periods of time and then all dropped back onto Earth at one place at one time. Some have been gone for just a few years, some have been gone decades. Now they're back with no memory of their time away and slowly they discover that many, if not all of them, came back with a strange new ability. What's their purpose? Who took them? Why did they come back at this exact moment? We don't know how the CW will tell this story, but 4400 is a reboot of The 4400 a series produced by CBS Paramount and Sky Television for the USA Network that ran for four seasons between 2004 and 2007, and it was canceled partly because of low ratings, but mainly due to the strike of the Writers Guild of America that saw the end of several TV shows in its wake. I love the original 4400 series, despite the big cliffhanger it left on, which made me extremely excited to see a reboot coming that might finally tell the full story. I've watched the first five episodes, which is my usual requirement when starting a new series before giving up on it, and I'm sad to report I'm giving up on it. This 4400 reboot is obnoxiously heavy-handed with its social and political agenda. The original 4400 got political, but only occasionally and mostly in vague optic lesson kind of ways that you could take and apply to your worldview. This new 4400 comes in immediately with zero subtlety, the discussions, and blind acceptance of homosexuality, transsexuality, systematic racism, gender identity, etc. Which, I mean, it's fine. A lot of shows address these things, but this show's first five episodes is 75% this stuff, and only 25% of it seems to deal with the fact that they were abducted and returned with superpowers. It's low on the sci-fi and high on the, well, the CW. It also breaks you out of the realism that nobody seems phased by the gender and sexual norms of today's society, despite many of them being from several decades in the past. You'd think that some of them would need some time to adjust, but they don't. And nobody's against these societal changes either. Not one of the 4400, not even the religious ones, sees any issue with the social and political ideology presented. My review is largely focused on these things because so much of the story is. In the end, the show feels like it's pandering to half of America and trying to shame the other half. Instead of presenting an allegorical story, such as the original X-Men trilogy famously attempted, it's just adding superpowers to current tensions in America with no room for interpretation. When a show's message does the thinking for you, the show is assuming you're stupid, even if you agree. Bits of sci-fi fun stuff and good humor exist in this show, but not enough of them to make me want to trog through the rest to find them. I give 4400 3 out of 10 best time bars. This has been Reviews of the Nerds, and remember, just watch the original 4400. <laughs> Welcome back to the Back Row Morning Show, and things are winding down for the day. And we wanted to know, have you ever tried the devil's lettuce? <laughs> Marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> we had someone say, I would not have understood the question without the included parenthetical. 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 <laughs> and I replied, hence the included parenthetical. <laughs> uh <laughs> So, yeah, that was the question. Have you ever tried marijuana? We gave you three answers. Yes, no, and only medicinally. We had 76 votes, uh, which is about normal. Um, what do you think the top answer was? Yes. No. What? Not even close. Really? 76.3% said they have never tried marijuana. 237 uh, said they did. Zero said medicinally, which is, I mean, I guess not out of the ordinary i feel like it's still kind of a rare thing especially among 76 people i have no problem believing that none of those 76 believable people had it medicinally but still surprised seriously yeah you think that 
There's one in every group of 76 people that definitely has medical marijuana? Yes. 100%. I don't think so. I don't. I, I think there's still a lot of... Let me ask you a question. Mental blockage. When we attended this church together, yeah. how many people on an average Sunday do you think were here? About 70 something, yes. Okay. <laughs> how many people you know used marijuana medicinally? I can think of one at the very least, two occasionally. Up until five years ago, nobody that I could think of until my mother-in-law. Including your mother-in-law, because I still, I, that this is new information to me. I didn't know that. So three mm. in a group of about 70. Mm. So you think these people are lying? <laughs> I think that this <laughs> that just comes full circle to, it's one of those things that <laughs> is such a gray area. Like it's, it's, it's charcoal gray. It's not like <laughs> rain shower gray. It's charcoal hmm. gray. So okay. I just think that maybe a lot of people still don't even want to admit it on a Twitter poll. Okay. Maybe, maybe. All right. Now, before we go, we want to share some things that we love. Uh, do you want to go first? You want I, me to go first? I don't you care either way. You go first. I Listen. Yeah, you do. You it's almost really well. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> it's almost Christmas. We just got our Christmas cards in the mail. I knew that this was going to be my something that I loved the second that I used it, and the fact that you noticed it and said something about oh, it when okay. I hand yeah. handed you the card just kind of, you know, it affirmed my decision. Mm -hmm. um, last year, I want to say it was in January, I bought a. Stamper, an address stamper for envelopes that has our last name and our address on it. Thinking, I don't ever want to have to address another card again, especially at Christmas time when we're sending out. Right. Very many. <laughs> many much cards. Mm -hmm. Many much of them. So um, at the time of this recording, we had just gotten our Christmas cards in and I got to use it for the first time ever. And thought that it was just the most brilliant tool ever invented and created by man. So, And if you're thinking this is like the ones at your business that's just a straight up, you know, aerial font, left aligned garbage thing. No, this is beautiful. Yeah. It's got a very cool oaks written out on it. And then even the font that you chose for the address is... Kind of like a, almost a typewriter-esque yeah. looking thing. Mm -hmm. Some of them are a little thicker and thinner than the others, like like you would with a typewriter. I mean, it's mm -hmm. beautiful. And it's centered. I want to get, yeah, and it's centered. I want to get one, honestly. Yeah. I like it a lot. So I actually found it last year on the website that I said a couple months ago was some, my something that I love, Jane. Jane, yeah. Yep. And so they had several different um, font combinations that you could choose from and uh spacing it, i want to say it was like 25 different combinations that yeah. you could choose from and i'm sure there are places it. i'm sure there are places yeah. that'll do whatever you make which right. i feel like i could make a good one yeah yeah mm -hmm. I, I like it that's a good so that is my something that i love i'm actually looking forward to it 
looking forward to doing Christmas cards this year. <laughs> All right. Mine, uh, a couple a couple of weeks ago, I said Squid Games was the thing that I love, which again came with a big asterisk disclaimer. disclaimer yeah, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a, a new one for anybody who wanted to watch it but didn't want all the violence or cursing. Mr. Beast's Squid Games oh. on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Mr. Beast, along with a um, mobile game company, basically built all six of the games. Yeah. And held a giant contest for, I think it was like $1,000 per person. That's what it was. So the one person at the end got to walk away with $456,000. That's crazy. And, uh, you know, everybody in the show dies when they're out. Mm-hmm. So every one of them has like this pack on their stomach that mm-hmm. pops like it's a bullet, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like movie magic stuff, but yeah. it pops like they got shot and they have to pretend like they died. Uh, <laughs> thing. It's it's it was very impressive how they built everything. Everything looks almost identical to the way it did in the show, including there's this one there's a glass bridge where there's two panes of glass. Uh like you know 20 rows of that mm-hmm. one of them in the show is tempered glass that you can step on one of them is not and you'll fall through to your death they rebuilt that not with glass but with you know some sort of flooring or whatever that looked identical and there was like a big foam pit underneath but they would still fall <laughs> like it would the cave out from under them and they would fall down into this foam pit it was incredibly um like anxiety inducing, even though it wasn't life or death, but these were real people doing this. It was very, very well made. And so if you want to see kind of like what the show was not a, you know, it wasn't the storyline, but at least you'll see like the cool games from the show. Go check that out on YouTube. It was a really well made game. Chris and the kids were watching it the other night. And as I was finishing up decorating the tree and they, we're really enjoying it. I didn't even yeah. turn around to look and see what was going on, but just listening to them yeah. react, that was fun. Yeah, I, I, that's one of the few things I've made my wife watch. Yeah. I don't do that too much with YouTube videos. I'm like, you have to see this. Yeah. And she's like, it was during that glass bridge game where like they're getting to the point where nobody wanted to go. Like, no, you have to go first. You have to go. I'm not going to go another step. I just did three of them. I'm not doing another one. <laughs> and like the timers down is like 30 seconds left. And there's like four more rows to go. And so many people and Deidre's just like, come on, somebody do it. <laughs> None of you are going to get the prize. Oh, it was so good. I That's like awesome. it when I can excite her like that with, yeah. with something that I liked too. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we like a lot of the same things, but there are some things that just mostly I like. Yeah. But occasionally I can get her to admit it. Mm-hmm. She did. I mean, sorry, just a side story. She did very lovingly watch wrestling with me for like a whole year when we were dating <laughs> before finally saying, I just can't do this anymore. <laughs> and I said, I thank you so much for trying. <laughs> That's fair. Oh, let's end with our verse for the day. Our verse for the day is Psalm 119, 150. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
And that's going to do it for the Back Row Morning Show this week. We hope, oh, I'm reading your line. We hope you enjoyed our discussion and we look forward to having you join us again next week. We've got two more weeks of shows this year and this season all culminating with our Christmas special on December 23rd. Remember that we are uh, airing our full morning shows first exclusively on LTN Radio every week, LTNOnAir.com, Monday through Thursday, 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 a.m. But if you miss a day or just can't catch the show live, you can find our three full shows and this weekly main podcast by searching The Back Row Morning Show on all the podcast apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Subscribe, rate five stars, and leave a review. Do it and we'll love you forever. Go and check out lovethynerd.com where we've got amazing articles on all things nerdy, other podcasts and videos, and a whole lot more. And if you would like to directly support our mission and become a financial partner with Love Thy Nerd, even specifically LTN Radio, please visit lovethynerd.com slash partner and you can choose LTN Radio from the drop down menu. Love Thy Nerd is a qualifying 501c3 nonprofit organization and your gift is tax deductible. And make sure you're following us on all the socials. We're on the book, the twit, the gram, and the talk. Just search for at the back row LTN and connect with us. Once again, I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And remember, if nobody else tells you, we promise it's true. Jesus Jesus loves loves you, nerd. nerd.